Happy New Year. Welcome to the Sherdog Radio Network preview for UFC Fight Night 217, Imovov versus Gastelum, also known as UFC Vegas 67. I'm pretty sure it's 67. It's been a couple weeks since I had to increment that little counter. Anyway, I'm your host, Ben Duffy of Sherdog.com. With me back again after a hopefully relaxing vacation is Keith Schillen, the executive producer of the Sherdog Radio Network. Keith, how are you doing? I'm great, man. Happy New Year to you and all the listeners. Uh, let's get right back in this. Let's start off the card, right? Loaded, absolute loaded card starting off. This oh, is I mean, it, the card is loaded. It's loaded with some things. <laughs> uh, it's loaded like a diaper. Um, I'm telling you, man, we joke and we have joked for you know the, the years that we've been doing this about fight nights in particular and fight night undercards especially in particular being basically Dana White's Saturday Night Contender Series, where you know people who win on the Contender Series or sometimes who even lose get signed, and they basically have to fight other Contender Series veterans until they get out of that first deal and either they're cut or they move up to fighting on quote-unquote real UFC cards. This is absolutely that. I mean, this six-fight undercard, I think it has six people debuting from the Contender Series it's got a bunch of undefeated fighters on it, but they're undefeated against bad competition. I mean, we'll we'll get to Nick Fury in a minute. We'll we'll <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll we'll get there. Yeah. Um, it's something else. I mean, this card. I almost feel bad asking you to give a letter grade for this card because it did lose what was legitimately a sensational fight in Jeff Neal yeah. versus Shavkat Rachmanov. Best fight of the card. Yeah, it was the best fight on. At least the the one that you like moving forward after that is the one you'd be most excited about. Either oh. Rachmanov is is as I mean he's already I think he's already proven that he's a real deal, but he would add another huge victory. Or if Jeff Neal is the guy that had a lot of buzz a couple of years ago, he'd be right back on it. Uh, losing that, I mean the main event, you can get excited about one side. The other guy, Gaslam, has been around for a long time. Like this, I I'd give it a C minus. I, yeah. I'm a little more excited because we haven't had a card in a long time. Uh, the Bellator Rising card was good, but it wasn't the most exciting card on paper that the fights weren't that exciting. Yeah. So we kind of, you know, hoping we can start off the year with a, with a pretty good card, hopefully some good fights. I think there's some pretty good prospects. So I'll give it like a C minus. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm with you there. C minus. And like you say, part of it is that when, when you're hungry, you know, any restaurant you drive by smells great because if this same card was sandwiched like right after a monster blockbuster card or it was like the seventh of seven uh, card, you know, weekends in a row of UFC, yeah. we'd be like, D, why are we even? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's, C minus. It's like the guy who's walking through the desert for yeah. like three weeks. <laughs> he, he finds water and it's like toilet bowl water he's just happy he's not, he's not saying like hey i need some poland springs uh, or you know aquafina or something like that he just you heard you it know. here ufc fight night 217 toilet bowl water like keith <laughs> Schillen has, has dubbed this card <laughs> i mean javid basharat is a sizzling prospect who i mean we'll talk about it when we get there but he's one of those guys where if he keeps winning stardom's gonna come with it uh yeah Mark, one thing a lot of guys sorry to interrupt you that a lot of guys will do like these you know, a lot of websites and 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 YouTubers and stuff. They'll they kind of give they're like, hey, here's a here's a list of ten guys uh, going to make a big jump in 2023 or, or something like that. Very, mm-hmm. everyone kind of has the same ideas. Uh, like he's he's going to be one on probably on 85 percent of those lists. Absolutely, yeah, he very much so. And I mean, it's got Umar Nurmagomedov, who now that 
now that Shavkat Rachmanov is off the card, if you ask me, okay, if anybody from this card fights for a UFC title within the next two or three years, who is it most likely to be? I'm tell- I'm saying it's Umar Nurmagomedov. It's, you not, know? it's not Kelvin Gastelum, even though his like, Twitter account is, is, is something like uh, on a mission for gold or something like that. <laughs> Like, yeah, if you're on a mission for goal, you better grab like the uh, the metal detector and hit the beach, brother. <laughs> Unless he means LFA gold. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like you know, finding you know finding some ladies' uh, bracelet is my best chance over at uh, the beaches out there in California. All right, well, <laughs> I think that's probably enough dunking on the card in general. If you want, we can jump right in and start dunking on individual fights. Yeah, let's do that. All right. First up on the uh, UFC Fight Night 217 prelims is a women's flyweight matchup between Priscilla Cachoeira and Sajari Eubanks. Cachoeira, the 34-year-old Brazilian, is 12-4 and overall. She is 4-4 and since joining the UFC, originally as a sacrificial lamb for Valentina Shevchenko's flyweight debut. She stuck on roster despite losing her first three and has won four of five, including a first round knockout of Ariane Lipsky at UFC on ESPN Vera versus Cruz last August. Uh, that took place at Bantamweight. They had been scheduled to fight like a week or two before it got pushed back. And so the flyweight matchup became a Bantamweight matchup, but I mean, nonetheless, it was a flyweight beating a flyweight. Uh, so that's two fights in a row that she has won. And she comes into this fight against uh Eubanks, whose momentum is kind of headed the opposite direction. The 37-year-old New Jersey native is an even 7-7 seven and seven in her mixed martial arts career. Uh, she is an even 5-5 five and five in the UFC since joining as the would-be finalist of the 26th season of The Ultimate Fighter. She, of course, missed out on fighting for that tough title and the inaugural Women's Flyweight Championship because she basically had health issues related to a failed weight cut. And that has sort of laid out the groundwork for Eubanks's UFC run. She's five and five in the UFC, but uh, she's two and two at flyweight. And I put flyweight in quotes because she is two and two against flyweights. And she's also two and two at actually making the flyweight limit. She's missed weight twice. um, And that doesn't even count again, the tough finale. Uh, most recently, she got finished in the third round by Melissa Gatto. That was all the way back uh, a little over a year ago at UFC Fight Night Lewis versus Dawkins in December of 2021. Uh, that capped a one and three run for her, followed up by a, an entire year off. So she's coming back uh, a year off, not great run in the division and trying to make flyweight again. I wish I could say what the odds were, but there are actually no odds available as of Wednesday night when we're recording this. Um, I'm not sure what they would be, but I suspect that Cash Huerta is going to open as the favorite, just as someone with positive momentum, you know, and that has been more active recently. But Sherdog Associate Editor Jay Petri asked me a question about this fight that I'm going to pass on to you. Okay. Is this the lowest level fight in UFC history with top 15 implications? Oh, gosh. Like, if Priscilla Cachoeira <laughs> wins, she's won five of six. And, I mean, she's beaten. <laughs> no, I'd go with uh, Danielle Wolf's last fight. <laughs> like, <laughs> like top 15. Or... I guess I guess any women's featherweight fight would. Um, it's got to be up there. I wouldn't say it's. You know, you have like the old heavyweight. I mean, you're talking about—is he talking about the world or in the UFC? In the UFC, like, because I think about the the. I mean, I know 
the reason why I say that, I go back to like the the heavyweight Andre Arlowski beating Justin Eilers, like those are, days. Yeah. Like where, you know, there was uh, Mike Kyle <laughs> was like seen as a future title challenger. I mean, then Wes Sims was a top challenger and Gian McGee. Like that was, that would have been, in, been pretty bad. But in like the more modern, uh, again, I, I'm not that, I don't have the, yeah, I mean, he was just asking as like a, that Jay has, and Jay's yeah. on top. Like Jay, Jay's a genius when it comes to that stuff. So I don't know off the top. I mean, I go straight off memory. He he goes off statistics. Uh, it's up there. It's, I just <laughs> can you imagine the like UFC? You get in the room together. You're like, guys, 2023. This is gonna be the big year for us. Biggest year, 30 year anniversary. ESPN. Let's go huge. Let's start off the like. Let's start off the year right. Yes, that was Sajari Eubanks. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> Let's start with Sajari Eubanks coming back after a year off at age 37 and trying to make flyweight, where she is literally a less than 50-50 proposition to get it done. Oh, this is this is this is that flyweight, yeah. Um like it it's it's bad. <laughs> like I, I have to imagine that this is just McMaynard going, if I squeeze this fight far enough down the card, can I squeeze it so far that it just doesn't even happen in the UFC? I just I imagine like there's a sports fan out there somewhere who's like yeah I just want a New Year's resolution I really want to get into more sports maybe I'll do MMA like that's really popular I really got into it I'll start watching UFCs and the first fight you you view is Sajara freaking Eubanks um it's like being at like a New Year's Eve party and like you know three two one happy New Year and I was kissing people and you're looking around and like it's like the only other person is like your cousin you're like yeah. Fuck. <laughs> I fuck it. <laughs> All right. So this is the kissing your cousin fight. Of- <laughs> I mean, yeah, maybe I've got a hot cousin. I don't know. Uh, I I've, I can't make any of the jokes that like came to mind right there. I mean, this fight, tell me who you think wins. I mean, we know what Sajara Eubanks was last time we saw her fight, what she likes to do, how she gets to victory. Is she going to be yeah. able to do it to Priscilla Cachoeira? Um. I gotta. I'm trying to find my notes for a second because I didn't expect this one to be the first one up. Uh, so, Sajara Eubanks has always been in this tough position where she was, it, she could never really make flyweight. Even when she did, she wasn't really um, not like not performing at her peak there. But then she was kind of undersized for 135, so she kind of like this. She'd be perfect if there's a 130 pound weight class. Uh, I hope she makes weight. Uh, again, um, this is you're 100 sure this is at 125. Like, I, I'm sorry, every, every source I'm looking at says it's okay. 125. Okay, um, yeah, that that really concerns me. Now, she, on the feet, Sajara Eubanks, she's she's a point kickboxer from range. She when she gets to the pocket, she does well to kind of unload some power shots. Uh, she can kind of get in the same rhythm though; it doesn't change things up. She'll kind of get in the pocket of the same combination over and kind of get repetitive. Um, doesn't really surprise you with things. She's not gonna like throw a spinning back fist or something like that. Uh, she has a pretty good overhand right, and this like short left hook is pretty good. Um, but she again, she'll look for it way too much. Uh, I like her high kick. Uh, she will wrestle a little bit. She's got some good entries. She's definitely like a top side grappler. She's not much of a submission there for someone who's like is known for their grappling. Um, she's definitely more of a position over submission person. Uh, but cardio is like the – she. I remember she did this interview once, and she was so mad. would be like, I have good cardio. They was like, yeah, you, 
you just completely slow down that third round. <laughs> uh, it, it's a huge weakness for her. And getting down to 125 at, you said what, 37, 38? 37. 37. Again, I don't know if she makes it. I don't know if it's going to look good. Uh, yeah, I, I I'll say this. I'm always gonna start off. I, I purposely left this in my notes in Catchaware. Like I'm gonna continue to point out that yeah, she's done this nice run, but let's not forget that she I gouged Jillian Robinson. It probably shouldn't be in the UFC. She should have been let go for that. Uh, back to what we've seen. We've seen a person who has made great strides, and it's just from being a very aggressive striker, kind of just mean and kind of bullying people. She marches down her foes. Uh, she she does need to learn how to cut off the cage. She's not technical. She's just kind of fierce. Well, she kind of chases a little bit, uh, but when she's if she can learn how to cut off the cage, she gets in the pocket. She she's violent, and she throws really hard shots. They kind of winging. She kind of tends to duck and throw, uh, but we've seen this tons of power. I mean, she blasted Shayna Dobson. She blasted Gina Bazzani. She best Ariana Lipsy. again. Not the best fighters in the division. Not not even close. Uh, but it's just good to see her like building this confidence where she has, despite having some bad technique, she just has, she makes up for it with some really good power. Now she has some uh, defensive striking holes. Like she drops her hands. She kind of leaves herself open with counters. Um, she kind of keeps her hands wide open. So jabs down the middle, teep kicks, stuff like that can really uh, do some damage. She, she keeps her chin high too. I like that. She will wrestle a little bit. She, I wouldn't call her a wrestle, but she will shoot. Um, it also like a topside grappler, but it gets a good grappler. I mean, Julian Robinson smoked her in the ground. Uh, the other thing about Catchaware, while I always remember the Julian Robinson fight, I also remember the Valentina Shevchenko where she took a beat and, and uh, obviously extremely outclassed but didn't give up. So I give her that. She's some toughness. So I want to pick Eubanks. I really do. She's more technical on the feet. She's more technical on the ground. I'm just I'm just done with her. Is she, she she has not made any improvements. Uh, she's so inconsistent. She has gassed out and late. Now you're moving it down to 125. Uh, a weight class that just has not been well for her. I say Cachoeira presses the action. I say um, she eats a lot of shots from Eubanks, but I think Cachoeira's power. I think she's going to land some shots. I think she's going to stay in in Eubanks' face. I think she's going to force Eubanks on her back foot. Uh She's probably get taken down, but I think she'll make some some scrambles and and make it interesting as the fight goes deeper on. She might even get a takedown herself. So I'm gonna go with uh, Eubanks. She'll be hard to finish. So I'm gonna say catch away by decision. Yeah, I mean, I I wish I had anything to add to that, but you ticked off all the boxes I was going to. Mainly that it's it's tough to believe in Eubanks, someone with a historically difficult weight cut after a year off going to be 38 in April. But on top of that, even if this was three months from her last fight, you pointed out the other thing. She hasn't really improved as a fighter. She's she's the same fighter that kind of bullied everybody in the tough house and then just, you know, has kind of fizzled out in the UFC, as, as you pointed out, a, a tweener who doesn't really seem to have a comfortable weight class to fit into. You know, that kind of a, I don't know, female drawn win. I don't know. Uh, so... I can't pick Eubanks with any confidence here either because Cachoeira, she's a pretty good sized flyweight, like she, d- decent height, decent reach, even if she doesn't use it as well as she could. Uh, but just most importantly, just kind of physically big and strong. I don't think uh, Eubanks is going to be able to do Eubanks things to her. 
I could see Casuera starting to catch Eubanks with some power shots inside and actually uh, putting her down. But Eubanks, as you pointed out, has been historically very difficult to finish. Uh, Robertson did it with just much niftier grappling, which Casuera does not seem to have. So I'll go with Casuera by decision as well here. And as I said off the top of this segment, we don't know whether that uh, constitutes an upset or not, but I'll come around and update with odds if we have them before I produce this show uh, Sunday night. Next up, we have a men's flyweight matchup between Charles Johnson and Jimmy Flick. Johnson, the 31-year-old St. Louis native, is 12-3 and overall. He's 1-1 and since joining the UFC out of LFA. He lost his debut last July to Mohamed Mokayev by uh, unanimous decision. Came back in November at UFC Fight Night. Zetiku versus Kudalaba, and took a split decision over Zhalgas Jumagulov. He'll look to make it two straight against the returning flick. Uh, the 32-year-old somewhat surprisingly retired uh, two years ago after his flying triangle choke submission of Cody Durden all the way back at uh, UFC Fight Night Thompson versus Neil. That was December of 2020. Uh, that was his UFC debut. It was his first fight out of uh, the Contender Series. And uh, within a few days after that, he announced his retirement and uh, unretired a few months ago. Here he is coming back. Uh, not sure what spurred it on, but uh, I, for one, am glad to see anybody back who was throwing flying triangles on UFC fighters. He's 16-5 and five overall, 1-0 in the UFC, and he is a substantial underdog in this fight. Johnson, minus 390. Flick plus 320. Uh, something I should have mentioned during our intro to this card, this is a Bellator undercard in terms of the odds. Every single fight on the undercard has at least a two-to-one favorite. All but one of them have at least a three-to-one favorite. Yeah. Wow. And there is a six-to-one favorite on the <laughs> do, undercard. Do we find out, like, during his retirement, like, he lost a lung or something? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, holy, you know, he's missing a hand. Like, what is going on over here? I, I get it. Charles Johnson, you know, beat uh, Gulov and – you know, he probably should be the favorite, but like four to one favorite. I was shocked. And three minus 390. I just took the DraftKings odds because they were kind of the median, but he was up close to minus 500 on some outlets. It was, it's bizarre because here's the thing like, Johnson, I wouldn't have Demetrius Johnson <laughs> over, over Jimmy Flick. Like, you know, or Charles Oliveira. Like, what the hell? I, 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 are we getting punked right now? We start off with Sajara. You like? I feel like where's Ashton Kusher? He's gonna come out and say, "Oh, Ben's been joking with your kids." Like, <laughs> did not start with Sajara Eubanks and five to one favorite Charles Johnson. Uh, no, I mean, <laughs> I don't know what to say about it, man. Like, I, and it'll be interesting to see if, if those odds narrow up either as sharps come in on Flick or people just start watching some tape, but. I just I just imagine some guy like working in like Vegas and setting the odds and just like, yeah, hey, fuck it, let's just make a joke. And then he's like, dude, I didn't I didn't I didn't really think like that people would take that serious. Like, they, like I, I only left it up for like fifteen minutes. Yeah, the guy from sure dog saw it. Yeah. <laughs> I I mean the thing about Charles Johnson is he debuted in the UFC against Muhammad Mokayev, and you and I both said on that preview that this is a setup fight for Mokayev. Mokayev yeah. was the guy that wanted to make into a star, but we both thought J Charles Johnson belonged in the UFC and was probably going to show it. Yeah, I agree. The problem is he looked pretty good against Jumagulov, but he won a split decision, and I thought he lost the fight. So did I. So 
he's kind of like weaving back and forth from uh, I, I think you know being underrated to overrated. But yeah, be careful sometimes like ranking guys off of a like good loss. Yeah, it's still a loss. Mm-hmm. Like I've, we've seen that where guys like uh, like sensational against somebody. Uh, what was the guy there with against Tony Ferguson? Um, but like prime Tony. Lando Venata. Lando Venata. I'm get all crazy. Like oh, Lando Venata, oh, top ten guy. Like, no. Lando Venata is still in the UFC off of like having. Uh, Tony Ferguson in trouble for like two minutes eight years yeah, ago. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like, I think he's literally a 500 fighter in the UFC, but we all remember that when he had like Tony Ferguson on ice skates. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Uh, and poor, poor Juma Gulov, just the unluckiest man in, in, in UFC history. Uh, the thing, I mean, Jimmy Flick, especially when he's cut down to 125, because early in his career, he fought at 135 as well. But at 125, because he's kind of a tall, rangy guy for the division, he gets ultra skeletal, and he looks kind of like uh, like a mini Dustin Hazlett, and he fights kind of like a mini Dustin Hazlett. Like, he is as much of a, a specialist as you'll find in modern top-level mixed martial arts. Like, he's a willing striker, but... Every fight starts in the feed. He's certain. I mean, he, he throws kicks. He he tries to box, but it's all clearly a a means to an end. He wants to get his hands on the guy and get him down to the ground. I don't think he has much in the way of traditional wrestling entries. The most of the way I see him get people to the ground in the tape I've watched on him is like jujitsu style stuff. Like he'll try to take your back standing. He'll try to do like you know like just do a little arm drag from the clinch. I mean, I. On in the local scene, that's on pole guard. Uh, the question to me is, can Charles Johnson punish him for trying to do that? Uh, I mean, Johnson is a. I, I just said Flick is like a, a pretty big frame guy for uh, for flyweight. Charles Johnson is huge for flyweight, like yeah. to the point of like, dude, how do you make one twenty five? It's like that John Jones frame for because he's got <laughs> long skinny legs. Yeah. <laughs> so you makes like five foot three and look, how do you make 125? Yeah. <laughs> uh, again, you know, Flick, what we saw of him was a pretty dominant grappling performance on the contender series. And then a first round flying triangle choke over two years ago. I can't imagine he retired and then, spent the next two years at some monastery in Tibet, like honing his Shaolin Kung Fu skills. I'm thinking he's at best the same fighter he was when he left. And I just don't think the Jimmy Flick bag of tricks is going to work on Charles Johnson. Uh, I'm expecting Charles Johnson to get his first real live, uncontroversial UFC win here. Uh, Give me Johnson to win a pretty dominant decision over Flick. I just think his reach and his ability to use it well are going to keep Flick on the outside. Flick's probably going to be reduced to either getting chewed up at range or trying like low percentage ways to get the fight to the ground. I mean, look out for like some guard pulls, maybe even like an Imanari roll type thing. And it's just not going to work on Johnson. Give me Johnson to win all three rounds and kind of bust Flick up a little bit. Yeah. So... I agree with you what you said about Flick. Like everything I, I can base my knowledge off of him is what I last seen. Like again, I I don't think he improved. Uh, he was this very unorthodox, unathletic fighter that was more just tough as nails kind of guy. That uh, everything he threw was to set up his ground game. He has major defensive holes. His his main uh, line of defense is pillaring, as you know. I hate. Uh, he does have a large kicking game. I'll give him that. And. He actually one of these few fighters that checks leg kicks. Uh, I, I give him a little more of a grinding style to his wrestling. Like he can get in the clinch and grind in there, 
because of that frame. Uh, he will wrestle, but I think you hit it like on the head. Like he's not this power through your hips kind of guy. He's this. Uh, he can time a takedown. Uh, you know, if a guy overextends on his shot, something like that, dropping down. Uh, but a lot of his takedowns are just kind of like gets shooting, get something happen. Tim Elliott style scramble, and somehow you end up on top or. Oh. In dude, jiu-jitsu. Tim Tim Elliott style takedown game is the perfect way to describe it, dude. Like five stars. Very and that, cool. that's tricky though. Like that really because it's it's different than we feel expect. It's hard to train for something like that. Uh, he does need to set up his takedowns better, his traditional takedowns. Um, and guy like Charles Johnson always had some pretty solid takedown defense. Uh, he'll also dive and flick. He'll just like dive forward, uh, get kind of get some desperation. Uh, but he's like you said, he's good at winning some scrambles. He is a big time submission threat. Uh, he just can get. He's very creative. Uh, I've seen him hit a lot of Von Flu chokes. Uh, what I like about him is that he just chains submissions. Like he has that mindset. He's like, I don't need to get the submission while I have a triangle that I'm losing. I'm already positioning my arm to roll down to a knee bar or something. Like he's he, he understands that. And he just like like look at this Dana White contender series. He just like ran a gauntlet of a. Uh, submission attempts on his opponent it, it um, reminds me of when you see someone grappling with like ryan hall in yes exactly uh the the one negative of that is that he plays bjj like he's not thinking about trying to get back to his feet uh johnson he's a good athlete um i agree with you like i thought uh zuma Gulov beat him but it wasn't like a robbery i think it was a really close fight uh he's he's got good movement he's pretty elusive he's light on his feet uh he moves around really well uh, which makes him kind of like a hard target to hit, would be a hard target to kind of shoot on. He's a kickboxer, uh, pretty good head movement. Uh, depends a lot on rolling punches, a little bit of Bobby Green style to that. Uh, he hated the pressure from Zuma Gov. Like that's where uh, Zuma Gov had his success. Uh, he constantly fights out of both stances, again, which can trick a lot of opponents. Uh, good volume, kind of just touches, not a big power puncher, even though he's so big. He he, he lacks that like just one punch starts you kind of – the game. He throws a lot of kicks, especially tape kicks. Uh, and he also throws them naked without any setup, which leave him open to counters. Uh, I like his step and knees a lot. Uh, he's not a wrestler, but he'll kind of like, I wouldn't say Tim Elliott style, but he's, he's a guy that like he'll get on top because he caught a kick or something. Uh, he showed good takedown defense against Dumagulov. Uh, I've seen him in the past be on top, good ground and pound. He has three submission wins to his, uh, you know, to his credit. Uh, he has been taken down. Like even though he showed some good takedown against the move, he has been taken down. But to his credit, he has shown ability to work back to his feet. And going back to like the LFA days, he's going hard uh, all five minutes. And probably his cardio is what got him the win over Zuma Gulov. Now, on the feet, I agree with you. Johnson should just take advantage of that. On the ground, though, it should be flexed. It's kind of really where is it going to be on the feet of the ground. Um, Flick, Flick has taken down better wrestlers than Johnson. And being that Johnson throws so many kicks, I wonder if Flick would just like catch one and, and take him down. Or because of the threat of the takedown, it takes away such a big weapon of Johnson where he's not throwing it. So I say there's a way that Flick gets the fight to the ground. I think he just does what he does. He throws in some submission attempts, changes it, misses on bar, goes to a guillotine, goes to a Ovaplata, goes to this, goes to that. And, uh, I'm going to say Flick catches him. I'm going to say, fuck it. I'm going to go big with my first big upset of the year, apparently. Uh, I'm going to say Flick by first-round submission. There we go. Keith uh, laying it out on the line, picking Jimmy Flick to make a successful comeback from his self-imposed two-year retirement and pull it off as a greater than three-to-one underdog. That is why you come to the Sheldon Duffy Show. But bet responsibly.
Next up at UFC Vegas 67 is a men's featherweight matchup between the debuting Isaac Dolgarian and Dan Argetta. Dolgarian, the 26-year-old Kansas City native, is uh, 5-0 in his mixed martial arts career. Uh, as I said, this will be his uh, UFC debut. He fought most recently at uh, FAC 12 last February, where he knocked out Terry Britton in the first round. Welcoming him to the octagon will be Argetta. The 29-year-old New Mexico native is 8-1 overall. He's 0-1 in the UFC. Uh, he joined out of uh, LFA last year, debuted in June against Damon Jackson, where he dropped a unanimous decision. That was at uh, UFC Fight Night's Volkov versus Rosenstrike. And I believe Argetta was stepping up on short notice for that one because his last fight in LFA was just a couple weeks before that. Uh, nonetheless, Argetta, comfortable favorite here. He's minus 220. And believe it or not, that's the closest line on the undercard. Argetta, minus 220, Dolgarian plus 175. Keith, I'm going to toss this uh, to you first, but worth noting here that Isaac Dolgarian is a born, bred, and raised James Krause guy. He's 5-0. and All of his fights have taken place in FAC, which is James Krause's promotion. He didn't mm-hmm. found it, but he took it over. Like, he owned it until they dropped off of fight pass and divorced themselves from him hastily a, a couple months ago. And all of his uh, amateur fights, I believe took place in FAC as well. And he trained at glory MMA and fitness. I don't know if he does now. Like I just literally stalked his social media to see if I could see him training somewhere else recently. But his most recent Instagram post was like eight months ago. So of course he was at glory. <laughs> Same with mine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, my own posts, I, I uh, is probably that old, but my wife, Tags pictures of me when we're at a restaurant. So, like, you can see my face there a lot. Uh, anyway, I don't know where he's trading now. All I know is he's in the UFC. It's not a short notice thing. He's just here on on general merit. Uh, and he's a pretty substantial underdog. Uh, tell us what we need to know about this guy and whether you think he gets it done. Uh, I think we should have had him start the show. We should have had a guest and he explained these lines for us. If he's a James Krause guy, he'd know all about how the lines are working. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, by the way. Don't bet on this fight. That's the only betting advice I'm going to give you. Like, don't bet on this fight. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, sure, Doc should do. Maybe we should have Luca Fury giving out uh, betting advice and stuff. Like, we should we should bring in James Krause. Just fucking just do it all. Hey, James, just own it and just give out betting advice. <laughs> you know? Um, that'd be, I'm, I'm yeah. thinking about our, our freelance budget. James, yeah, I, how'd you feel about 50 bucks a week? I know you own like a line of Metro PCS stores and you invest in real estate and obviously you banked away a ton through discord channel. How do you feel about 50 bucks a week? <laughs> uh, that's a lot of money for someone in jail. So yeah, they buy you a lot of brownies and cigarettes. Yeah. yeah. But it's a signal in jail. <laughs> he still have a better camera than Lev has. <laughs> <laughs> love you. Love, love you. Uh, we love love. Uh, this fight. I actually think this fight's going to be fun. Um, our get a, uh, it's funny because I think he's undersized. He used to be a bantamweight, and he—you he, mentioned he took a short notice fight. And I'm surprised he's not fighting back at down to bantamweight. But yeah, he, this fight I believe is at 145. It is. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, he's a southpaw that uh, he he does drop his hands, which I don't like. But he's a high output guy. He's a, he's a bit of a brawler. He gets in the pocket, uh, just likes to land big power shots. He lacks head movements, so makes him kind of very hittable. 
Uh, he's he likes to wrestle. He's got some good entries, pretty fast entries, good at winning scrambles. Uh, but he really struggled to stop takedowns from Damian Jackson. I mean, Jackson's put him on his back, held him there, backpacked him for like the almost the entire fight. He did show some good submission defense against J- Jackson. I mean, there was like I said, there was really long periods of time with Jackson on his back and back. Jackson couldn't find a submission. Um, so I like that, and he's got really good cardio. Like he he. He tired out Damon Jackson. Jackson was the guy that was tiring out at the end of the fight, and it was Argetta that was, um, you know, which, third round was pressing. You don't, the you don't see that often. Yeah, and he took it on short notice, which is yeah. pretty impressive. Uh, Doug Aaron's 26 years old. Take out the James Krause, the Gloria May, and what's going on with that. He's only been a pro for two years. And, I mean, he's been beating up some cans if you look at his record. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you again. You worry about that glory fitness. He's going somewhere else, someone else corner him. Who knows? Um, he hasn't shown anything on the feet. Like I just watch everyone's eyes. He just shoots in right away. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah, I mean, um, you, but, you look like and people looking at his record on the screen right now. You, you're like, oh well, you know, he's got three TKOs and two submissions. Well, look at his TKOs. Yeah, it's no. all tapping on the ground. <laughs> but when you look at when you dig a little deeper into his background, though, I mean, this is this guy's a high level wrestler. He's an NCAA, NCAA, NAIA national wrestling finalist, which is, uh, you know, it's not D one, but we've seen guys like that have a lot of success in MMA. Something about those, you know, Division two, II, Division three junior college guys that just, uh, I mean, the the one thirty five world champion was a Division three wrestler. There's just something about it. Uh, so I like that he's competing in some really high level freestyle high. Uh, Greco-Roman, uh, he's got really good entries. He advances position on the ground really well. He's got good power, but he gets to the legs and just lifts guys up and just launches them. Hard, hard ground and pound. He has a submission threat. Cardio is a question mark. He is, he's never been out of the first round in his pro career. And from what I've seen in amateurs, he has all first-round stoppage, too. I know amateur records aren't like the best. Um, yeah. If Jay Petrie... He tells me what is the amateur record. I 100% believe Jay. I never question Jay <laughs> when it comes to it. Uh, so a lot of question, Matt. This is a huge step up in competition for Delgarian, but I'm going with him. Uh, he's the better wrestler. Argetta throws really big shots. He, he really telegraphs his shots, and I really think that sets up some takedowns for Delgarian. I think Delgarian keeps him – Getting takedowns for the majority of the fight keeps him on his back for a majority of 15 minutes. I don't I don't think it's gonna be one of those fights where you're like, wow, Dogarin really looks good. But I, I like uh I like a guy who's growing in the sport. I think uh it, it could be one of these ones where it's terrible and he gets knocked out quick because he doesn't have setups and he's purely a wrestler. But I saw Damon Jackson who's not as good a wrestler as Delgarian, uh stylistically in MMA. I know maybe on paper it might be different a little bit stylistically not as good as a wrestler, and he was ragged on. Uh, throwing him around. Um, so I'm going to say Delgarian does this. I'm going to go another upset. Uh, give me Delgarian by decision. Well, on, on the recap for this one, you are either going to be sitting pretty or there's going to be a sudden problem with your camera. And like, <laughs> that's, I mean, that's two, uh, you know, greater than two in two to one underdogs that you've picked here. And I can see that route to victory for Delgarian because Argetta, yeah, Argetta's defensive uh, wrestling against Jackson, you know, was kind of exposed. And I expect Dolgarian will probably get takedowns easily, early and often in the early going. But a couple things that you mentioned 
are the things that stood out to me when I kind of watched Dolgarian, reminded myself about Argetta and started thinking about this fight. There's something about Dolgarian, and I'm not saying it's, it's an exact one-to-one comparison, but that kind of reminds me of when the Coasty brothers came to uh, the UFC out of the contender series where they had wrecked. I mean, they were like, you know, seven and oh, eight and oh, had thrashed everybody in the first round. It was mostly just because of superior wrestling aggression and just the physical strength and explosion to bully people. And especially, uh, I think it was Lewis who lost his, his debut where just he gassed out really badly when he couldn't finish his guy in the first round. And against a guy in Argetta that has proven even against a normal cardio machine like Damon Jackson that he has impressive uh, cardio. And for all we know, that might be the reason he decided to stay at 145. Maybe he's like, man, I felt great. Maybe that's, maybe that's yeah, why. That's, that's a good point. But, but to me, if Dolgarian takes Argetta down, pounds him out, or just, you know, punches him up and then arm triangle chokes him in the first round, I'm not surprised. But if this thing gets to the end of the first round, I'm starting to feel a lot better about Argetta's uh, prospects here. If it turns out that Dolgarian can maintain that kind of pace for as long as it takes to finish the fight, great. Then I will have learned something new about him. But until then, I, I do think he's just too much of an unproven product to think he's just going to run through Argetta like he ran through everybody in FAC. Because, I mean, there were some low-level fighters on his on his way up. Uh, so give me the favorite here, Argetta, this being just a little too much too soon for Dolgarian, but for all we know, he still has a ton of upside in this division. So uh, I'll take Argetta by decision. Next up at UFC Fight Night 217 is another men's flyweight matchup. This one featuring Alan Nascimento and uh, Carlos Hernandez. Nascimento, the 31-year-old Brazilian, is 19-6 and overall. He is 1-1 one one since joining the UFC as a veteran of the first season of Dana White's Contender Series Brazil. He was not signed out of uh, that appearance because he lost. He actually lost to uh, Howley and Paiva, who did make it to the UFC. Uh, took almost three years off after that uh, appearance in 2018. Came back in 2021, won one fight in Brazil, and then was drafted right into the UFC uh, back in October of 2021 mostly because of probably his connection to uh, Charles Oliveira and the whole, you know, shoot box Diego Lima uh, team. Uh, you can tell by the bleached hair, you know, they, they all got the, the Macaco hair going. Um, <laughs> but uh, he lost his UFC debut by split decision to Tagir Lombekov. No particular shame there. Came back last May at UFC on ESPN, Wolhovich versus Rakic with a unanimous decision win over Jake Hadley. So he's back seven months later, looking to make it two in a row at the expense of Hernandez. The 29-year-old American is 8-1 and one overall. He is on an eight-fight winning streak. He lost his pro debut and has been undefeated ever since, uh, including stops in uh, Who's Your Fight Club and one stop in LFA before making it to Dana White's Contender Series back in August of 2021, where he beat uh, Daniel Barres by split decision. That punched his ticket to the UFC. He made his UFC debut almost a year ago. It was last February at uh, UFC Fight Night Makachev versus Green, where he took a split decision over Victor Altamirano. So he also will be looking to make it uh, two wins in a row in the UFC. Hernandez is most decidedly not favored to do so. He is plus 300. Nascimento minus 365 as yet another substantial favorite on this undercard. Keith, 
I'm not saying that Alan Nascimento shouldn't be a minus 365 favorite over anybody in the UFC. I would leave that line to you, but should he be this big a favorite over Carlos Hernandez? Uh, who you got in this one? Yeah, um, yeah, this is tough. I don't know if he should be that big of a favorite. I, mean, I, I definitely think he should be the favorite. I mean, he's pretty good. Like, I, I like a lot of the things that I've seen of him. Uh, but Hernandez, Hernandez is tough. Like he's he's been scrappy so far. I, I don't think he's looked bad at his UFC debut. Um, so I'll start with you know Nascimento. He he's a really long and lengthy kickboxer. Uh, very like. Basic striking, and, and and I mean that in in a compliment. Like he takes everything, just guy that just works on the basics. One clean one twos down the pipe. He's got pretty good power. He's a really big, complete kicking game. Uh, kicks really everywhere because of that long range. Uh, I like when he gets into the pocket and he he starts like slicing up elbows inside. He can use his height in the clinch. Uses his knees really well. Uh, well rounded, good reactionary double. Uh, not a great defensive wrestler, but that's because he's so comfortable off his back. Uh, very similar to like his teammate Charles Oliver. He's very flexible. He has like nine submission wins. Uh, he's good at just kind of keeping those hips constantly moving, not staying like a guard, moving, throwing up sub attacks. Uh, gets like triangles very easy with those long legs. Uh, he goes for heel hooks and leg locks is kind of like a little bit of his specialty. Uh, the one negative is he hardly looks for sweeps. Like he just keeps chasing submissions. Now, Hernandez, uh, high volume striker, moves pretty well, uh, good footwork. I like that he cuts angles when he when he attacks. Uh, he prefers to be the guy pressing the action instead of countering. He keeps everything inside tight. Uh, good variety in strikings. I, I like that he adds knees to you know stepping knees. Good kicking game, uh, hard kicks to body. Uh, he mixes his striking and his takedown attempts. He blends them together. He adds takedowns into his combination. They can throw a combination and shoot off of it. Um, he's willing to grind in the clinch, dirty box. I don't know if is the guy you want to do that with, uh, but just like, you know, a point moving forward. We'll go for takedown. He does. I like that he doesn't just stay, you know, in someone's guard, old Tito T style. He looks to advance on the ground. Pretty good back takes. He has four submission wins. Not the best defensive wrestler, uh, you know, as he was taken down and, and, and submitted on the contender series. I don't like that, but he's got really good cardio, so uh, he can press the action. Uh, I like Hernandez. I, I think he's good. I just think Nesamento is better in probably every single position. I, I think he gets the better of the exchanges on the feet. I think he uses his length really well. I think Hernandez might struggle to get inside, uh, especially trying to get around those kicks. Uh, add in the knees when he gets in close, uh, add in the slice and elbow. So like long range isn't, isn't really ideal that mid range isn't ideal. And then, uh, he's so good with this, you know, if he goes for takedown, he's so good at winning scrambles, locking on submissions. Uh, so I think Nassimento might hurt him on the feet. I think he might lock in a submission. I say Nassimento kind of gets like a club and sub or gets, a, uh, you know, maybe gets on top of some ground and pound and finds submission. So give me Nassimento by second round submission. Yeah, I, Definitely feel what you're throwing out there. Hernandez, you, you look at his record, you're like, oh, man, he's got eight wins and four of them are by submission. But that was very much when he was fighting lower, lower level guys, you know, on his local scene. I can't get past his contender series performance where Daniel Barris took him down a lot in those first two rounds. I think if Nascimento gets him down in a lot of those similar situations and positions, that fight's over. And that's what I'm picking here. I, I'm with you. I think Nascimento, you know, his better range and just, 
his solid basic kickboxing. And I, I love that you put it that way because doing the basics well will get you a hell of a long way in mixed martial arts. You know, I. Oh, yeah, remember, absolutely. I mean, I remember when like uh, Frank Mir and Antonio Rodrigo Noguero were coaching tough and Mir was talking to some of his guys and he said that like uh, Noguero had just bread and butter jujitsu. And he didn't mean it as an insult, but it's like Big Nog was never going to like put it like, you know, a go-go plot on a guy, yeah, you know, true. He, he had sweeps, arm bars. He'd take your back, choke you out. That, that's what he had. And it made the, yeah, it made him one of the greatest grapplers yeah. in, in mixed martial arts history. Doing the basics well, take you a long way. Anyway, uh, Nazi Mento can probably get the better of uh, things on the feet with Hernandez, but if he doesn't like what he's getting, I think he's going to be able to get the fight to the ground, whether with a conventional takedown or just, you know, finding a way to drag him to the ground in the clinch just with his greater height and probably greater strength. And once they're down there, I do think it is uh, Nascimento's world. He works well from his back, but when he finds himself on top, he is very good at getting down to business. Give me Nascimento by first round submission here. I mean, second round wouldn't surprise me either, but uh, I, I do think this is not a great matchup for Hernandez. We head now to the men's bantamweight division for a matchup between Javid Basharat and Mateus Mendonca. Basharat, the 27-year-old Palestinian by way of the UK, is a perfect 13-0 as a mixed martial artist. He is a perfect 2-0 since joining the UFC out of the 2021 season of Dana White's Contender Series. He made his debut last year, uh, went 2-0 in the UFC with unanimous decision wins over Trevin Jones in March and Tony Gravely in September. So he'll be looking to make it three in a row, kind of mint himself as a not just a future contender, but sooner than later contender in the ultra competitive bantamweight division at the expense of the debuting Mendonca. The 23-year-old Brazilian is a perfect 10-0 as a professional mixed martial artist. He competed on Dana White's contender series last September, uh, flattening Ashik Ajim in 48 seconds. That, along with, again, his teammate affiliation with uh Charles Oliveira were enough to punch his ticket to the big octagon where he has a tall task ahead of him as he is yet another massive underdog here. Mendonca or plus 300, Basharat minus 365 as uh, the substantial favorite. Uh, Keith, I'm going to throw this one to you for your pick first, but something I kind of broached off, off the top during the intro this is a card where it's easier to get excited about individual fighters, I think, than actual matchups. Like, I mean, the mm -hmm. undercard is all squash matches. Yeah, I agree. But, but you know, between Basharat and Umar Nurmagomedov, who we'll be talking about in a little while here, which guy would you say you'd be? Uh, I knew I you mean, that. And they're in the same division. Like, yeah, it's it's kind of unfair because I feel like Namaga Madoff is is a little ahead of him at this point. Like he's facing you know, higher level competition of the two. Um, man, it's it's. I'd say Namaga Madoff because um, his last name is Namaga Madoff. Like that goes and, a long way. And you know, um, the, you know what the funny thing is? Let me throw something out here and tell me if you agree. Because I agree that. Nurmaga Madoff seems ahead of him. I mean, dude, he's fighting Honey Barcelos. Who? Yeah, well, I know. I think. Let me, let me guess what you say. I mean, well, I'll say this: Basharat like taking a step back. Like he he fought Tony Gravely in his last fight, which is a really mm -hmm. good win. Yeah. So I, I should I should have said like on this card, he's facing. He's like ahead of him 
in, in the competition. Like he's facing, like you said, Barcelos. Well, um, Basharas taking on uh, Mendonca. A, 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 con- a contender series guy that. Yeah. Like, Man, that's, I just really like both guys. I really like both guys too, but I'm not too surprised by the matchups here because it feels like Nurmagomedov is ahead, but dude, they're not that far apart in age. They're not that far apart in record. Like they're 13 and 0, 15 and 0. They're yeah. 2 and 0 in the UFC, 3 and 0 in the UFC. But Nurmagomedov is being booked like a contender and Bosch, or sure. potential contender. Basharas being booked like a potential star. Okay. Basharat yeah. is is being booked like you would book a cocky UK fighter who's who happened to win their two first two fights in the UFC. Like, can they get a little like Patty Pimblet type squeeze out of him at the same yeah. time? He's actually rising up the ranks. You know, yeah. I, I think there may be a little bit of that to it. Yeah, I, I I'm still gonna go with Nomagami. I just I, I go back to that Brian Kelleher fight where he just he ran through. I mean, not like a great guy, you know, fighter, not but like a hard, tough vet, and he just ran right through the guy. Only only great fighters run over Brian. Exactly. Kelleher. Like he looked like. Uh, but that said, like if these two guys are fighting each other for the title one night, like I wouldn't be surprised. At all. I think the ceiling is that high for both of them. Dude, the best thing I can say about Brian Kelleher is Brian Kelleher was a guy that had his hand like sticking straight up in the air to fight Sean O'Malley, and the UFC was like, hell no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like yeah. when Sean yeah. O'Malley needed the shortest opponent. Yeah. yeah. And you know, I, I mean, I, I would take O'Malley to beat him right now, but he still could be tricky. Yeah, it's, it's, still, it's still, he's a tricky guy. And, he can be a tough guy to look great against. Like yeah. you might not get something for the highlight reel. I mean, that's when they brought in Rhode Island's finest, Chris Matinia. Like <laughs> and, and finest to Bashara, like he took out a really tough guy and 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 Tony Gravely and yeah. looked fantastic. So um Bashara is very technically sound. Like he's one of the guys I think I might have more notes on Bashara than anybody else on this card. <laughs> like he's he, like he just one of those guys when you watch 15 minutes of his fight, it just everything jumps off the page at you. Like he does everything well. He's a I, I mean not everything, but you get my point. Like there's yeah. so many things he does well. He's he's a Muay Thai style. I mean, you want me to continue, right? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, dude, between his contender series appearance and his two UFC fights, we've got almost 45 minutes of tape on him, and he's shown every phase of MMA. Exactly. Like, like, I'm not surprised exactly. your notes are long. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like he he shines at everything. He's so well rounded. He's a Muay Thai specialist that is a really good striker. He can fight out of both stances. Uh, what jumps out to me is just how comfortable and calculated and, and composed he is. Great vision, very accurate, really good at keeping his distance. Quick, quick jab. He's he's good at like following the jab up with like sliding in the pocket, just landing some shots, getting right back out of range. Uh, good, good hand fighting. And he gets in the air, he's really good at like grabbing the hands, using it to cut an angle and and, and attack around it. I love that he goes to the body. Uh, I love and, and I, I say this, but anybody does. This, I love the the way he cuts angles. He he has good footwork. He switches in mid combination, so he's like um, generating power, but also uh, changing the angle that he's coming at his opponents and then sliding off the center line. He's just really good. Nice power, really good kicking game. Deep kicks up the middle. Calf kicks are a big part. Uh, he checks leg kicks, which nobody does, especially early in their career. Uh, I mean, he was landing this devastating step and knee that was just crushing Tony Gravely. Uh, I think the worst thing is striking, and this could easily be fixed, is that he can he can be a little low output at times, like almost looking for the perfect shot, and he he might even like keep fights a little closer than it could be by not like kind kind of just 
it, like riding in a like sports car with your dad it, when he when you were like twelve and you're like dad gun it to a hundred and he's like doing eighty and you're like he's like I'm doing eighty this is really fast and you're like dad <laughs> like gun it to a hundred like that's him like come on just gun it to a hundred dude because if he does he's gonna put people out um it, but. The other thing about his like his Muay Thai style, he has some like Muay Thai say, for example, he does back up on the center line and he does kind of keep his chin a little high and he, he can hang his hands low. Those are like some defensive things. But because of that style, he throws from some weird angles. But he can wrestle. I mean, he took down Tony Gravely, who who's all about wrestling. Uh he's not your traditional wrestler, but he's really he was just really good at winning scrambles, winning the position, not giving up on uh, on positions and, and and like beating Tony Gravely to the point like Winning the high point in wrestling, um, he was he's good at like take getting take, takedowns by catching kicks. Uh, he showed when Gravely was trying to be the offense wrestler, uh, extremely good takedown defense, uh, very good topside grappling. He was advanced in position on the ground. Uh, he just has some strong ground and pound, six submission wins, and strong cardio. Like he was, I mean, some of that cardio is because he's cruising at eighty, you know. Um, Mendonker. It, there's not much film on him. So, like, take this for what it's worth, what I've seen. I love that he's only 23. And his athleticism, you can see it. He's a great athlete, very explosive, very powerful, uh, striking, uh, very explosive type strikes. Um, he has he does a lot of keep kicks up the middle. Uh, he has some defensive holes. He's very hittable. He doesn't set up his kicks, leaves him open counters, uh, but he's a good grappler. He needs to control a little bit more. He's more of a he definitely would BJJ, like trying to catch in a submission, lose position, chasing the submission, but he has four submission wins. So, again, like I had one guy has all this notes, the other guy, there's not that much film, so I kind of limited to what the notes I can come up with. Uh, so, Menaka doesn't have as much film as I would like. Uh, but what I've seen, I think it's a pretty good addition just by based on his athleticism. But Bashra is so good. I think he avoids the power shots of Mendonca, who which I really think is his best chance of just landing a big shot. Uh, you know, with Bashra making a you know bad decision by dropping his hands, keeping his chin high, something like that. Uh, but I just I think he avoids that things. I think he lands crisp shots. I think he lands some power shots. I think he gets some takedown zones. I think from on top, he starts pounding out the jitsu guy. And I, I say we haven't seen a stoppage yet from Bashar in the UFC. I think he gets it this fight. Give me Bashar by second round. Uh, second round TKO from ground and pound. There we go. People who are used to watching this show, you know, you know, you probably noticed that sometimes I will go first when we're talking about a matchup. Sometimes I'll, I'll hand it to Keith first. I'll let you in a little bit on my thought process behind. My first thought is, by default, I, I will give them uh, to Keith first. Just you know, Keith is is much more of the tape. You're a gentleman. That's being a gentleman. I'm a, I'm a gentleman. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I open doors for for people. But uh, you know, Keith is more more the tape head. And, uh, <laughs> and plus, I'm going to interrupt you anyways if you try to go yeah. first. And then if I try to go first, you just <laughs> talk over each other. If there are fights that I have a particular insight on, or I feel really strongly about, or I'm about to pick a massive upset and I don't want to let him steal my thunder. I'll go first. But then there's somewhere I'm like, I couldn't find any tape on this dude. I'm totally just going to check it out and throw this to Keith. And this was that one. <laughs> it was a guy last year. I can't remember what it was. I'm like, oh my God, I have nothing to say. Like, I'm just going to copy <laughs> every single thing Ben says. And you're like, all right, Keith, go first. 
well, then you should throw it right back to me. Like, dude, I couldn't find tape either. And then yeah. we'll just, I, <laughs> I was just going to be like, oh, he's got good hand speed. I'm be like, yeah, got some pretty quick hands. Uh, the thing, <laughs> I mean, the thing with Mateus Mendonca is he turned pro like right after his 20th birthday. He fought like seven or eight times in his very first year as a pro in low level uh brazilian promotions like i like future fc is the only one that even had videos available and they were like potato quality videos and that was before like a long layoff and then returning on the contender series and he's still just 23 so who knows how informative more tape even would have been of this you know kid barely out of his teens uh but it it almost doesn't matter because I am this high on, on Basharat. I, I love everything you said about him. Like his, not just his striking, because, you know, that's kind of what you expect from the way he presents, but his well-roundedness, his wrestling. Uh, I I love that on his fight on the Contender Series, yeah, he's taking on Aron Kalen, who was like 40 years old and had kind of an overinflated record, but was a legitimately very good judoka. And almost as if to prove a point, Basharat took him down in the first half of the first round. And that was just, the ball rolled down from Hill from there. He beat the crap out of the guy for two and a half rounds, you know, two and three quarters rounds. Uh, yeah. Like Basharat doesn't even have the thing that you normally get when a hot shit striker debuts in the UFC. Well, like, let's just see what it looks like when he takes on a wrestler. One, cause he's shown he can wrestle offensively Two, He took on Tony gravely in a second UFC fight and he was fine. Uh, that's what makes me excited for him. And that's what makes the question about him and Umar Nurmagomedov more intriguing because if Basharat was just a one-dimensional striker, it'd be an easy question to answer. Well, anyone named Nurmagomedov against a Muay Thai guy, we know what that's going to look like. Uh, but here, I would love this to be the kind of fight where Basharat does, in fact, step on the gas a little bit and shows the gap in skill and shows what he could do, you know, maybe to higher-level fighters if they'll book him against him. Uh Give me Basharat not just to win here, but to go out and kind of make a point. Uh, you picked him by second round TKO. I'll, I'll take, you know, I'll take third round. I'll take third round. Like, give me Basharat to maybe take a little of the first round, not having seen any more tape than we have and being a little bit careful, uh, but then turn up the Jets and uh, make this academic. Yeah, Basharat by third round TKO. Second from the top at the UFC Vegas 67 prelims is a lightweight matchup between Mateusz Rebeski and Nick Fiore. This will be the UFC debut for both men, but that is where the similarities stop more or less. Rebeski, the 30-year-old Poland native, is 16-1 overall. Uh, he fought on the Contender Series on August 30th, choking out Rodrigo Lidio in like three minutes. I believe that is his... 13th or 14th win in a row. Most of those took place in FEN, which is sort of Poland's next tier down promotion. Like beneath KSW, FEN is kind of like their, you know, their, their AAA ball. Anyway, uh, 13 straight wins. He will look to make it 14 straight at the expense of Fiore. The 6-0 and uh, New Hampshire native, uh, product of uh, New England cartel. He's also affiliated with uh, Henzo Gracie, New Hampshire. I don't know if that's like the Exeter location or, you know, uh, or, or the, <laughs> Matt, I don't the, know. the new one in Bedford. Hey, I, I, I don't, I don't pay attention to <laughs> Northern New England. That's not, I'm a oh. Southern New England guy, man. <laughs> Maybe me. if you come down and trade yeah. with Connecticut's finest, like Glover to share you'd like yeah. right. Rhode Island, Mass and, and Connecticut. None of that Maine, Vermont and New Hampshire nonsense. Uh, his six and O. Uh, pro 
record includes one stop in CES, and that's actually kind of the peak of it. The rest of it has all taken place in Combat Zone. I'm not even sure that's New Hampshire's top promotion, but uh, he won there as recently. That's, uh, that's Calvin Cater's promotion. Oh, okay. There you go. Uh, uh, his last appearance was at Combat Zone 78. That was last uh, November. That was good enough to get him in here as a late replacement for Omar Morales, who had originally been scheduled to take on Rebeski. Uh, reflecting perhaps the difference in experience, level of competition, the fact that one fighter is a short notice replacement. This is the widest line on the card. Rebeski is minus 600, Fiore plus 450. Uh, Keith, you just said that you don't pay as close attention to Northern uh, New England MMA as to Southern New England, but I assure you, you are more plugged into both of them than I am. So I am absolutely tossing this one to you first. Uh, Nick Fiore. Sometimes yeah. when a six and zero late replacement comes to the UFC, I will say, okay, this guy was already on my radar and he's someone I expected to see on the contender series or even in the UFC within the next 12 to 18 months. Like, you know, David Onama was someone that I said that about Charles Johnson, who's on this card. Nick Fiore was not on my radar. In fact, I was like, Nick Fury. Isn't Sam Jackson like 75 years old? No, Nick yeah, Fury. Samuel Jackson's character in the, yeah. the superhero movies. <laughs> yeah. No. That it, honestly, Samuel Jackson has probably the same chance of winning this fight as Nick Fury does. So. That hurts. Uh, I mean, give me uh, give me your take on this fight. Um, yeah. So Nick Fury, he's he's twenty five years old. He's the thing about him. He's been training since he was a teenager. Like uh, I know he was like thirteen years old or something. He said he's he's big for the weight class. You mentioned he's six and zero, oh, but this dude has beaten like the elite bums of MMA. <laughs> He's he has two wins against Jay Ellis. Yeah, in his six he, fights. he has six wins Four of the guys have losing records. And you mentioned Jay Ellis has over a hundred losses. Yeah. In fairness to him, one of the fights with Jay Ellis was like a last minute. His opponent dropped out and Jay Ellis got thrown in like, like two days. I, that was, I think it was, this, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. That was the second, the rematch. You know, the much anticipated rematch between Nick Fury and Jay Ellis. His last opponent has a record of five and twenty. Like that's not who you fight before you get in the UFC. Um Fury, he's he's a minus athlete. He's kind of flat footed. He's pulls his head straight back. He throws a lot of kicks, but he's a guy who wants to get the fight to the ground. He will shoot for a takedown, but he is definitely more of a like BJJ grappler than he is a wrestler. Uh, I would say he's a weak wrestler. Uh, he really telegraphs his entries. Uh, he has a BJJ black belt. He's pretty good at getting subs from his back. Um, I think he had this one fight against, but uh, obviously fighting the tomato camera, he got like a really nice armbar. Uh, Rebecca, Rebecca's a southpaw, short, compact guy, bob and weave type style. One of these guys, he's willing to eat a punch and land one of his own, but he's got some good power. He's got eight knockouts. He's a very good wrestler, too. Uh, we saw it in the contender series. He's very physically strong, just picked up his opponent a couple times and slammed him. Good topside control. Uh, I love that he looks to pass on the ground. Good ground and pound. He has six submission wins, and he's shown in the past he can go hard 25 minutes. Uh, it's funny because I've been like categorized as this guy who's anti New England MMA. I, I I want New England MMA to be the number one region in the world. I it's 
it just isn't and it isn't close. And the issue is there's so many issues. I'm not going to go on a rant. Uh, no one wants to hear any of it, but there's so many issues with the New England regional scene. But one of the biggest things is we have guys who aren't ready for the UFC getting put in the UFC. Um, because why? There's a million reasons, no reason to go down that path, but. Fury isn't ready for the UFC. He's not close to being ready. Like, I wouldn't have suggested him for the contender series. Now, I'm not anti Nick Fury. Like, I want this guy to be successful. I like, you know, I, I kind of hope he wins. It's just not going to happen. Like, Rebecca's going to maul him. He's he's going to land some hard shots. I mean, he might knock him on the feet. If he doesn't, he's going to pick him up. He's going to slam him on his head. He's going to land some hard shots. Uh, if Fury shoots on him, he's just going to like sprawl on him and, sla- and slam him. Uh, he's going to pound him and maybe he finds submission. So I'll, get, I'll say Rebecca beats him up until the submission happens and then he submits him. Rebecca by first round submission. I mean, what can I add to that? Like, I, I would have been happy with a little bit more of a rant. Like, you know, if, if people don't like the rants, tell them um, there for a reason. I had, so, okay. Fuck it. <laughs> Fuck it. Um, Tyson Chartier is a really good person. Like, I like him a lot. I've met him because of times we talk every time we see him. He's, I like the guy. I would consider him a friend. He's a really good person. Family guy. He really cares about his fighters. He's like one of these guys who's super proud of the success of guys like uh, Rob Font and Calvin Cater. Like, no, it's not like, success of his success, but of like their success. He's one of these guys who's happy. The one thing about Tyson is he has this unbelievable belief in his people, which is obviously can be a good thing, but the bad thing is, is it can be a bad thing. And I think that's the case with like a Fury and other guys in the past where he, he has such belief in these guys that he talks them into what they aren't. And Fury's n- not a UFC. I don't think that Tyson's goal is to get these guys in the UFC and get them hurt. Like, no, he's not. He's. I think he really does care about these people. I just think he, again, like, it's just one of these, he has an unbelievable belief. And it's cool. It, you know, he's, he's like, he's like that kid who has his 12U baseball player who's there's an open on the 14 year team and he goes oh it's gonna make him better let's go move up and that's cool in baseball when you strike out it's not cool in mma when you get you get high kicked in the face so you get pounded out and that's what's gonna happen like nick fury is not ready i will gladly eat my words i hope i'm wrong i just don't think so i think this guy's gonna get embarrassed i'm i think that's i mean that's a, a take on the situation that's it's fair and it's not unkind because, and this might be a better discussion to have at length after this fight. Because if Fiore yeah. leaves a man and he's, he's help him in, yeah, yeah, like help him in. But moving to the UFC level too soon can actually hamper a prospect's development. Like, yeah, look at someone like uh, Mickey Gall or Chase Hooper, where mm. you, you get pulled up super green, super young, and instead of staying in your regional scene and fighting five times a year and having like smokers at your gym and fighting yeah. people appropriate to your level, you're in the UFC and they there can't, go. Th- th- there aren't people they can, there aren't appropriate matchups for you. Yeah. You know, because the thing is 
if Fiore loses badly to Robeski, that's no more than expected. But now he's probably going to get two more fights in the UFC. And if they're even against people who won on the contender series, they might be too much for him right now. Yeah. And, I agree. but that's another 12 to 18 months kind of cut out of his development, preparing for fighters that are hopelessly above his level when he could have been actually developing maybe into a UFC level talent uh, during that time. I mean, he's 25 years old. So, but you I know, mean, what? in fairness, you could have said the same thing about John Jones when he first entered the UFC. Yes, John. Sure, Jones. I didn't. I actually called the Sherdog sure Radio Network and told him he's going to be a superstar. But a lot of people probably didn't believe in him. And you know, everything everything for him seemed to be too soon. You know, he blew through all the obstacles, even when he got the short notice title shot against Shogun. Yeah. Like, well, it's this is too soon. Uh, no, he, I'll, he's, I'll gladly have Tyson and Nick laugh at me every time I see them in person. Sure, I mean you never been afraid to like admit when you're wrong just i i'm i'm interested to see uh how this turns out but i you know i i definitely see where, where you're coming from on that one uh for me yeah i mean i would have favored Robeski against omar morales too uh Robeski, i'm not saying he's that level but in terms of his build his athleticism and his tool set he's kind of like a uh, poor man's michael chandler uh his wrestling works because he's as strong and explosive as he is. Like Michael Chandler's a great technical wrestler, but he also finishes takedowns that you shouldn't be able to finish, except that, oh, you sprawl, but I'm just going to hoist your leg up in the air and throw you across the cage anyway. <laughs> yeah. Like Robeski gets some of that and then, you know, stays uh, compact with uh, boxing, lots of hard hooks, doesn't have great reach, but uh, quick enough on his feet that, at least against the competition he's been fighting, he's been able to get inside. Yeah, it all just reminds me of like a, you know, geared down uh, Michael Chandler archetype. I do think that's going to be way too much for Fiore here. Uh, I'll take uh, Robeski by, uh, I'll, I'll say first round TKO probably happens on the ground. Maybe he hurts him on the feet. They go to the ground. If anything, Fiore is be capable of taking care of himself on the ground. You know, he's a good grappler, uh, you know, comes from good uh, training background. I expect that if he's given the choice between eating a couple more shots and giving up his back, he might just take the extra couple shots. So give me uh, Robeski by first round TKO ground and pound. The top prelim at UFC Fight Night 217 is a middleweight matchup between Claudio Hibero and Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. Hibero, the 30-year-old Brazilian, is 10-2 as a professional mixed martial artist. This will be his UFC debut. He won his way into the UFC in his appearance on Dana White's Contender Series last August, where he knocked out Ivan Valenzuela in just 25 seconds. Uh, that punched his ticket. He'll look to make his official Octagon debut a successful one at the expense of Alhassan. The 37-year-old Dallas native is 11 and 5 overall. He's an even 5 and 5 in the UFC. Uh, he uh, he lost his last time out. It was a split decision uh, against Joaquin Buckley at UFC Fight Night Walker versus Hill last February. Uh, that's got him back into the red basically after his 17-second head kick knockout of Alessio De Chirico that probably saved his job because he had been on a three-fight losing streak leading up to that. Uh, he's, you know, uh, one and four in his last five fights. Looking to turn things around here, and the UFC managed to find somebody that he is actually the favorite against because Alhassan is minus 120. Hibero available at even money plus 100 right now. 
I, here's the thing about Claudio Hibero, and we've said this about a couple other fighters on this card already, but this is what you get when you give us Dana White's Saturday Night Contender Series. We have a bunch of people that have a spectacular win on the Contender Series last year, and then a bunch of low-level regional fights, and that's what we have to go on. And Hibero is one of those. Uh, Hibero ice Valenzuela on the contender series. I loved it because Valenzuela tried this terrible spinning back fist. Uh, Hibero plunked him. And then he did the Igor Vovchanchen to Francisco Bueno thing and like managed to punch him in the head again on the way down. Like Hibero's already going down. He's <laughs> already on the astral plane and uh, Hibero hits the moving target, you know, and yeah. to do that when you've already decided I'm going to throw a, a left hook and a right cross. Yeah. And you managed to change the vertical. <laughs> I mean, you do John, you've, John Wick shit. Right yeah. There. You, I mean, and you as somebody like who have, you know, you fought, you've trained MMA fighters. You've dealt with. Oh boxing. yeah. That was my move. That was my move. Hit him and then hit him again. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> I was, I was known for, <laughs> I mean, making an, an adjustment mid punch to a vertical change in your opponent's position is tougher than, uh, than horizontal like just you know your punch is already swinging through an arc at at best maybe you do the the frank mirror on todd duffy thing and end up clotheslining him instead of hitting him with a clean yeah, punch yeah. and he still goes down but for you to like pinpoint that cross on somebody's head that's already dropping that's nasty stuff unfortunately yeah. <laughs> it took place in 25 seconds all we know is that hibero iced a pretty bad fighter who just happened to be like twice his size it's problematic because Hibero has fought at welterweight before. He weighed in for that contender series fight at 181. And again, Valenzuela dwarfed him. Uh, if he has a future in the UFC, and I'm not sure he does, it might not be at 185. It's not going to hurt him here because he's taking on one of the like shortest, most compact guys in the division in Al Hassan, who's a former uh, welterweight himself. But yeah, his his longtime home was probably not at 185 because he didn't look especially drained or ripped at 181.5 on the contender series. And before the Valenzuela fight, I mean, he has a bunch of first round knockouts, but they're of bad fighters. And yeah. he looks like I mean, to me, he looks like a sloppy brawler, like he got yeah. the best of a sloppy brawl at the best possible moment with Dana White sitting 20 feet away. And yeah. that's what I can say for Claudio Hibero. Al Hassan on the other side, I mean, he's a frustrating fighter. And he's on a, like I said, he's one and four in his last five fights. And the only win in that space is over Alessio de Chirico, who just, you know, isn't UFC material. But he's not been losing to bad guys. I mean, all the guys that Al Hassan's lost to are at least solid UFC roster material. And he's been, in most of those fights, generally competitive. Like, I feel comfortable saying that Abdul Razak Al Hassam right now is a like bottom third of the of the middleweight division, but you know he belongs in the UFC. He he'll get cut if he loses here, but it won't be because he's the worst guy in the division. Like you know, uh, the only way I see Al Hassan losing this fight is if he does something really dumb and gets countered by Hibero. Which I mean, he's shown he. I've seen a Hassan fight before. <laughs> I I I saw the Caleb Williams fight, so I, I he that that is something that could happen. The thing is, Al Hassan in his fights with both Jacob Malkoon and Joaquin Buckley 
he did try to bring the fight to the ground. He did try to do something other than just engage in a wild brawl. And I'm interested to see what happens if he tries that on Hibero, who really is kind of an unproven product on the ground. I don't know what his wrestling defense looks like. I don't know what uh, his, you know, bottom position game looks like if he tries to sweep or just tries to stand back up or tries like lousy submissions from the bottom. I have no idea, but I am picking Abdul Razak Al-Hassan to embrace his inner judo thunder and, uh, you know, try to bring Hibero to the ground. I'm guessing that he's going to try it early too. Al-Hassan has to know he's fighting for his job here. He has to know he's, you know, in LFA or Fury in his next fight if he loses here. He wants to cling to that UFC spot. He doesn't want, like, the plane ride home with Safe Saud next to him, like, being all quiet. Uh, give me Al-Hassan to win a decision here. A crummy fight, uh, but one that keeps Al-Hassan his job and shows us the ceiling on Hibero really quick. All right. So you did something major wrong. There's no way Safe Saud is ever quiet. <laughs> Like, I just imagine him being on the plane still like yelling at somebody. <laughs> Dude, here's the thing, and nobody believes me, but on on his way up, up until like I'd say 2018 or so, like the first few times I interacted with him, saw him at regional events, uh, first uh, time or two I interacted with him at UFC events, he was quiet, reserved. Like he had much more of a Greg Jackson vibe than uh, like a, a Ray Longo yeah. vibe. Something in him snapped when uh, – <laughs> when um Johnny Walker hit all those illegal strikes yeah. to the back of the head <laughs> I remember that. on um, Ryan Spann. Ryan, Ryan Spann. Something yeah, snapped. Like, like he 20, was yelling 20. his head off there, and he has been – Just kept going. Yeah, he turned into the Hulk, and he just never turned back. You know, one day he's going to he's <laughs> gonna gonna turn back from the Hulk. He's going to be safe. He's going to wake up with, like, some, <laughs> some ripped jeans on and nothing else and be like, what happened? Is it still 2019? <laughs> Like, yeah, that's be like a 30 for 30 on. I'm like, what if I told you that see, so you just be quiet? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. You maybe had like a, you went to like a Tony Robinson like convention, like get into your inner beast or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, it's funny that Al Hassan is 37, but I always think of this guy as a prospect. Like, I would guess he was like 30, mm-hmm. and like he's so much older than I think. Uh, he has quick hands. He's he's explosive. It's, it's, as you mentioned, he has this like one punch fight ending power, both his hands and his feet. Um, he's always been good at hand fighting. Throws a lot of kicks. Uh, adds kicks to his combos. Doesn't check leg kicks. Really open to that. Uh, definitely worried about his chin as he's been knocked out a lot of times. You mentioned he will go for takedown. I think it's a little rare, but uh, maybe something as he's as he's aged, he's realized the importance of that. Uh, you, you mentioned his. Uh, you know the judo background. Like he's, he's judo name only. Like I don't know. I, I don't remember him ever like hitting a judo. He, he went to the like, same judo school as like Hector Lombard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he's, he's like that. Uh, the guy who goes to like the judo class the first day, they just buy all the clothing and stuff. Or the guy who goes to like the jujitsu <laughs> class and he comes out with like all the clothing. Um, his takedown defense was absolutely terrible against Jacob Malkoon, and he's historically had some bad cardio now. Uh, Ribeiro, what I've seen of him, minus athlete, you mentioned it, flat-footed, a uh, bit of a stationary target, counter-striker. Uh, he's got a good right hand when he throws it straight uh, and a pretty good check left hook. Uh, and he definitely does best when he's pressing the action. But you mentioned a lot of his strikes are just looping, very telegraphed. 
He has serious power. He has nine knockouts, eight in the first round. Um, he, I've seen him actually land power shots while backing up, which is a rare thing. But his technique is bad. His chin high in the air. Uh, he's been rocked a lot. Uh, he can take a beat. I'll give him that. Uh, I, I definitely think his best position is, even though he 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 does a lot of things wrong in brawl, that's probably his best thing he, he, he can do is get in the brawl, you know, fucking in brawl. Um, hard calf kicks. Uh, I've seen some takedown defense. Doesn't even seem like he wants to go to ground at all. Um, he has. I watched one fight. We went 25 minutes with the guy. And what I was impressed is, is his cardio sustained. Like it was a brawl, and he, like he was still throwing bombs in, in the in the fifth round. So that was really impressive. So I hate picking against Al, Al Hassan because, like, at any time he can smash a dude. Uh, but I don't trust his cardio. I don't trust his chin. And and then I watch Ribeiro, and you really feel like when you watch this guy, it's it's one punch knock you out kind of guy. Even though I just did just talk about him going hard for twenty five minutes, but it's still like him landing one shot and putting you out. And that obviously can happen with a guy like Al Hassan who has durability issues. Uh, that's why if I'm Ribeiro, I'm telling him like get in brawl, make this a, a, a brawl, get right in Al Hassan's face and start throwing some bombs. Uh, I agree with you that Hassan has fixed some of his issues, uh, especially the cardio issues. I like I like a New Year's resolution that I'm not taking out Hassan anymore. Uh, but like every New Year's resolution, you break them the, like the first week of January. Uh, I'm not picking, you know, with any confidence. But I'm going to take out Hassan with, though I don't want to. Uh, he's faster. He throws straight shots instead of these looping punches. I say he wins a wins a decision. There we go. Two picks for uh, Abdul Razak Al Hassan to. Win and presumably keep his UFC roster spots in the top prelim. The five fight main card of UFC Vegas 67 opens up with a 135 pound men's matchup between Umar Nurmagomedov and Hani Barcelos. Nurmagomedov, the 26-year-old Dagestani, is a perfect 15-0 as a professional mixed martial artist. He is 3-0 since joining the UFC as a uh, veteran of uh, several uh, top-level promotions, including Fight Nights Global, uh, Professional Fighters League. Uh, he fought most recently last June, taking a unanimous decision over uh, Nate Maness. That marked the first time that he had even heard the final uh, horn in a UFC fight. Previous to that, he had finished... Uh, Brian Kelleher and Sergey Morozov, both by rear naked choke. Uh, he'll look to keep the good vibes going and mint himself as a, perhaps a title challenger once the whole sticky situation uh, solves itself at the top of this division against Barcelos. The 35-year-old Brazilian, 17-3 and three overall. He is 6-2 and two since joining the UFC uh, as the outgoing Bantamweight champ in RFA before it even became half of LFA, which should tell you how long he's been in the UFC. And when you start counting that on your fingers, uh, six and two is not a whole lot of fights to have. Uh, Barcelos, always competitive, has been hampered by relatively low activity, some injury layoffs, a few canceled fights, uh, has fought just eight times in, what is that? almost seven years that he's been in the UFC, six or seven years uh, that he's been in the UFC. He did win his last time out. It was a unanimous decision over Trevin Jones. 
at UFC Fight Night Dern versus Jan in October. That allowed him to snap the first losing streak of his career. Those were decision losses to Victor Henry and Tamur Valiev uh, at UFC 270 and UFC Fight Night Gone versus Volkov, respectively. Uh, Barcelos looking to uh, keep the winning ways going here. He is not favored to do so. He is the second biggest underdog on the card after uh, Fiore. Barcelos right now plus 390 or so. Nurmagomedov floating around minus 500. Uh, Keith, you and I got pretty excited in the moment after uh, Barcelos' win over, I think it was either Saeed Nurmagomedov or Khalid Taha, and sort of ticked off people in the Bantamweight Top 15 that we would (laughs) favor him against. I mean, that didn't age well because we went on to lose back-to-back fights, but... I still don't feel bad about that because he felt like a guy who was well-rounded, athletic, and honestly really dominant in his UFC run. He had been on like a massive, you know, like 12 or 13 fight winning streak. And it seemed like the only thing that could delay him was his own inactivity, his own propensity for injuries. Even after the win over Jones, he still feels to me like a guy that got old overnight. Yeah. Like, Barcelos is just not the guy that we were praising to the rafters two years ago. No. <laughs> uh, I mean, and which makes me understand why he's such a massive underdog to Nurmagomedov because <sighs> Nurmagomedov, I mean, he's a Nurmagomedov. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we've said there's a kind of a, there's a continuum of Dagestani fighters. There's the ones who just all they've got is the grind. And, you know, if they're standout athletes, you get Khabib Nurmagomedov. If they're just so-so, you get Rufus yeah. Hobbylov and a lot of decision wins. They're like, they're like Kennedy family of MMA yeah. without like yeah. tragedy. Take out the and, tragedy part. And on the other end, you, you got guys that know how to wrestle but prefer to just do all spinning shit all the time. You know, you you got your Muslim Salikov types, uh, Zabit Magomed Sharipov. You know, may his career rest in peace. Your Magomedov is definitely right, more. Totally might be coming back. Oh, that would be amazing. Uh. I think it's going to be on the John Jones heavyweight yeah. title fight card. <laughs> okay, so 2027. All right. Nurmagomedov, he tends a little more to the, the grindy side of that continuum. But most importantly, his game has just seemed so airtight. All of yeah. his wins in the UFC have felt really, really inevitable right up until the moment they happened. Like, they're... Uh, we talked about Brian Kelleher earlier as someone who's just, he's a tough out, only the best of the best really just run the guy over. And Nurmagomedov, damned if he didn't just run him over. Like, Sergei Morozov knows how to grapple, and just Nurmagomedov gave him no breathing space whatsoever. Uh, Barcelos, he's a guy that, at his best, he was well-rounded. You know, I, I think he sees himself as a, a striker first, but like a guy that's a good, he, he was a good wrestler, a good grappler. But even at his best, this is just a bad matchup for him. I expect Nurmagomedov is going to absolutely suffocate Barcelos here. Uh, two years ago, Barcelos might have had the speed advantage on the feet. I always thought, you know, like he had like fast hands when he decided to kick, you'd have fast kicks, uh, pretty decent footwork. I don't know if he has a huge advantage there anymore. And I just, I, I don't think they're going to spend much time there. I think Nurmagomedov is going to take Barcelos down. I would say early and often, but it's only often if Barcelos manages to keep getting up. And I don't know how long that will keep going on because Umar has the Khabib thing of 
I'll wrestle you. I'll control you. I'll do mat returns when I need to. And the whole time you'll get tired faster than I will. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and gas tank has not been Barcelo's friend in the last two or three years. So yeah, I, I understand why the odds are what they are here. And if I went in for betting things like the lock of the night, even as good a fighter as Barcelos is, you know, aside from like, again, the short notice debut of Nick Fiore, this one feels kind of like a lock and it's more down to Nurmagomedov than Barcelos. This is, this is going to be suffocating. Give me Nurmagomedov. I'm going to say third round submission, but third round TKO on the ground would not surprise me either. Yeah. Um, I, I, I agree a lot with you saying Nurmagomedov. He, he's just such a complete fighter. He's, he's an elite athlete with great footwork very elusive. He can very technically sound. He can fight at both stances. Is this like Taekwondo style striking to him? Uh, where his hands are kind of secondary. Like it's his boxing, I would say is serviceable, but his kicking game is like wicked good. Uh, kicks everywhere. A lot of creativity. You mentioned his, his great wrestling. I mean, his last fight against Nate Manus, he hit one of the sweetest body lock inside trip takedowns like I've ever seen in MMA. It was, it was incredible. Uh, fantastic entries, great smothering top control. Uh, just, I love that. He just, he, he's not only as a wrestler, but he just, he's so good with his grappling. He cuts right through guard, really good ground and pound. He has a submission threat. I mean, he made it. we talked about how tricky a guy like Brian Keller is. He made Brian Keller look like a bum on the ground. Uh, he has seven submission wins and he just, he, and he, He's what twenty six, so he's probably starting to enter his prime. He might not even be in his prime yet. Uh, that's what's scary. Uh, Marcellus looked really good against Trevor Jones. I'll say that uh, he's a technically sound fighter. Uh, he was really showed that he can. He was beating Jones to the point of contact, which was something I was worried that he can't do anymore. I thought his athleticism was fading a little bit, but he looked good. Uh, he gave me a little, uh, little gun shy at times. Uh, it was much better his last one. I, Last fight against Trevor uh, Jones, but but in the past he like he's fought at a snail's pace and that worries me. He he is a counter striker. His his counter right is his best blow. Uh, he also has a good kicking game, good calf kicks. Probably his best avenue victory is if it stays on the feet. He can kind of you know use that wide base of of Nemagomedov and kind of you know take it out with the with the calf kicks. Uh, doesn't really check leg kicks himself, which is an issue. He, he's an underrated offensive wrestler. Like he he can wrestle a little bit, not to the level of Demarco Madoff. Uh, good takedown defense himself. Uh, if he's heads up on top, he's got some good strong. He, like he's good on the ground. He's good top control, good ground and pound release, like back takes, like ground and pound. Uh, I, I mean, I I think about the when he out grappled uh, Sade Demarco Madoff, which was a really uh, good win at the time. Uh, it kind of showed wh- where he stands on the ground. Uh, he is a submission threat, but I am still a little worried about his cardio. He's getting a little older. Um, he had th- recent times where he hasn't looked good. Uh, Barcelos is a really tough test for anybody, but I, I think Demagomedov is special. I think he lands hard kicks uh, on the feet. I think he lands some takedowns. I think he smothers Barcelos on top. We see this exactly the same. I think Demagomedov wins, and it really just – one of those continued like, wow, how good can this guy be? He just dominated a really good fight in Barcelos. Outstanding. 
Next up on the UFC Fight Night 217 main card is a women's bantamweight matchup between Caitlin Vieira and Raquel Pennington. Vieira, the 31-year-old Brazilian, is 13-2 in her career. She is 7-2 in the UFC. She is on a two-fight win streak, uh, those being unanimous decisions, or sorry, a unanimous decision over Misha Tate in the headliner of UFC Fight Night 198 in November of 2021. And then this past May, a split decision over Holly Holm in the headliner of UFC Fight Night 206. Uh, in light of both of those being absolutely dreadful fights to watch, Vieira apparently has been relieved of her Fight Night headliner uh, status and relegated to fourth from the top here where she will take on Pennington. The 34-year-old Colorado native is 14-8 and eight overall. She is 11-5 and five since joining the UFC out of the 18th season of The Ultimate Fighter. Uh, she was the most accomplished product of that season uh, right up until Juliana Pena won a UFC title, however, briefly. But ah, she, she can get that top spot back. Uh, she is on a four-fight winning streak uh, since her own loss to home back in January of 2020. She's beaten Marion Renault, Penny Kianzad, Macy Chasson, and Aspen Ladd. The most recent of those, the Ladd fight, was last April at UFC 273. So she will look to make it five in a row and uh, keep herself in the in the title picture, or or at least as the most elite of elite gatekeepers. And she is a very slight favorite to do so. Pennington, as of right now, is right around minus 115, Vieira minus 105. So, I mean, that line is close to a pick now, could swing either way. Uh, Keith, I mean, we talk sometimes about people failing their way up in MMA, or like they'll lose and just yeah. kind of rise. Caitlin Vieira man has managed to succeed her way down. Yeah. I mean, she, I mean, she headlined her last two fights were head were fight night headliners. She beat two of the most recognizable and accomplished women mm -hmm. in the history of the division. Even if the win over home was a bit questionable, sure. uh, not a robbery, but questionable, but, but uh, both of the fights were just miserable to watch. And it'd be one thing if she sprang from that to being on like a massive fight night card or on like a pay-per-view yeah. card, but they just kind of bumped her to just another fight on just another fight night card that's every bit as bad as, as the two she headlined. It feels to me a little bit like the UFC not fully cutting bait on Vieira as someone that might be able to win her way to a title shot at 135, yeah. but just she's not going to get the push anymore. I mean, she's yeah. winning questionable fights and has, I mean, she's blown weight once. Uh, I mean, she missed weight for the Yana Kunitskaya fight, but even in the the time she's made weight, she is such a massive bantamweight mm -hmm. that even when she toes that scale at 136, I feel as though she might have such a drastic weight cut that it affects how she fights because that would explain part of the problem because physically she has all the tools. She's an absolutely giant bantamweight. Uh, I think she has pretty well-rounded skills. But, I mean, she suffers from output. She's not great late in fights. I mean, we, we've said this, at least I, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just me beating this drum for the last two years. But anytime I see someone like Kitlin Vieira, someone like Macy Chasson, Aspen Ladd, 
where they are clearly killing themselves to make 135 and you know that they could move up to 145, win one fight and get a title shot. <laughs> she might even have to win a fight. Yeah, she might not have to. They might like the UFC. You could hear Joe Rogan saying she beat Holly Holm. She beat Misha Tate. I mean, if you look at her resume, yeah. Holly Holm, Misha Tate, Katzingano, Sarah McMahon. She's beaten like four <laughs> of the 10 greatest Bantamweights in, yeah. in MMA history. Yeah. I, I think, <laughs> like, she, yeah, she got a much better resume than I realized. But she probably like you don't remember it because the fight because the fight's so terrible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it, it does make me wonder. And here against Pennington, somebody who Pennington, like she is a skilled fighter. You know, like yeah. if if I could point to flaws in Raquel Pennington's game. She doesn't have a, a ton of power for as much output as she has. Um, and she has her reputation for being tough and being able to take an incredible amount of punishment, mostly because she has defensive lapses that lead her to taking an incredible amount of punishment. Yeah, not the but, compliment you want. <laughs> yeah, like she's – but as somebody who's like very durable and a grinder and a builder and someone who, if you let her, will just fight – a 2004 Randy Couture fight and just the entire fight will take place within 18 inches of the fence yeah. and we'll just push you into the fence for three rounds and, and weigh on you. I think this is actually a bad matchup for Vieira. Like, um, give me Pennington in this one by decision. I think it'll be another ugly fight. Yeah. But Caitlin Vieira could hurt Pennington, but I don't think she'll hurt her bad enough to finish her. And even if Vieira wins the first round, Vieira's output is going to drop. Pennington's will stay the same or build, and Vieira will be less and less able to just get off the the fence or fight off takedowns. Or maybe Pennington will just start outstriking her with volume. Uh, you know, because if neither woman hurts the other obviously and badly, then it just looks like P- Pennington outstriking Vieira at, at a two to one clip for two rounds. That wins the fight too. So give me Pennington by decision. Yeah, this this is a weird fight, and, and the placement on the card is is really weird. Uh, I understand because of Vera and, and Pennington not being the most exciting fighters, but when you think about the rankings and the name value and who's won, I mean, there's not a person on the card who really deserves a main event more than Kevin Vera based on just who they beat. Like you could argue that it should be the main event, at least it could be the combat. Like in rankings, if you had to pick one person fighting like for a title next. So when are this fight? Like you just could be a number one contender matchup. Uh it just it just <laughs> when I first looked you, at the co main uh, event has a fighter who's lost four of his last five fights. The main event has a fighter who's lost, I think, five of his last six, or at least four of his last five. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> on on uh, here it just maybe yeah. should be the main event. Yeah. Now I'm I'm glad it isn't because I don't want two extra rounds of this fight, thank God. <laughs> but um, so shout out to whoever decided to not do that. Um yeah, Pennington. It, we she is what she is at this point. I mean, we know like her, my notes aren't changing; they're all the same. Like she's a minus athlete who's flat-footed, kind of slow. Uh, but you mentioned she presses action; she can take a beating. I mean, uh, she can take a beating except for the Manny Nunes fight. She couldn't take that beating, but that's like <laughs> that's a little different. Yeah. Uh, the reason why she takes beating is because she presses the action. Uh, she's a builder. She gets stronger as the fight goes. I'd say she's technically sound, even though she's not a good athlete. She's she's you know a tight boxer, gets in the pocket, um, 
And one thing she was doing, she was doing this a lot of lead lefts, really weird, like lead left hooks in the last fight, which was a little surprising to me. Um, I like that she's added that punch. I didn't like that she wanted to do it as much as she did. Uh, she kept like dipping to the right and the left hook, which kind of seemed like you could counter that. Uh, but her best bet, you know, this fight is exactly what you said chest to chest, grinding in the clinch. Um, she will look to wrestle, maybe get a takedown. Uh, she's hard to take down herself. Uh, plus, she has that like really good standing guillotine. So if if Vieira goes for a takedown in the clinch and, and leaves her neck open, uh, that's something Pennington can get a takedown or, or, or sorry, get a submission or get a takedown herself. Uh, when you take Pennington down, she does really well to work back to her feet quickly. She doesn't. Um, she's one of these persons. She doesn't. Um, she's not satisfied or or content or what's the word I'm looking for like. She won't concede a position. She'll continue to work back to her feet, so that always makes it a little tough. Uh, she's a submission threat, and, and Cardi helps her. I mean, it, she's one of these people, she can go hard in the clinch for 15 minutes. Like, she's got good cardio in that position. Uh, uh, Vera, you mentioned, big, physically strong woman. Very, besides just being big, like, like sturdy. <laughs> she, she's got long arms, uh, like, really weird frame. She's she's a counter striker with a boxing style. Um, I think it's off the jab. It's really like an up jab. Tended throws from her hips. Uh, she has a little bit of a looping style, very Fedor and Milanenko style to that, where um, punches come like her power punches come a little bit weirder angles. Uh, she does lack hand speed, uh, but she has a lot of pop in her in her, in her strikes. She's definitely the harder hitter of these two. She also has some defensive holes. She pulls her head straight back up, but she likes to she likes to battle the clinch too. Um, she battered Katz and got on the clinch, but I was surprised uh, how controlled she was by Holly Holm in the clinch. Uh, again, I do think that has a lot to say about Holly Holm, who I think is historically underrated for her. Uh, wrestling her grappling, yeah. uh, but not to go on a side note. Uh, I'd say she's a good wrestler. Um, she's a judo black belt. I actually think that would probably be your best bet is trying to get some takedowns herself. I mean, she threw Sarah McMahon. So, like, she has that ability. Uh, and I really think she limits herself by not going to it more. Um, she's got some good entries. She's out grappled some good grapplers. Um, Sarah McMahon, Sajara Eubanks, you know, good grappler. Yeah. Kat Sangano, Yana Kuniskaya. Um, man, this is a tough fight. It's really, uh, I've been flip flopping back, back and forth. Uh, Vieira from distance, I definitely think that favors her. Um, she hurt Holly Holm a couple times at distance. Um, I'm surprised. I thought Pending was gonna be the underdog. I, I, I was surprised when you said that she was a slight favorite. I, I would have thought, um, like Vieira would be like negative 160 to plus 140 kind of range. Um, I'm really interested in the clinch. Who's I, I just checked, and uh, Pennington is still just the very slight favorite on yeah. every major book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I wasn't, I wasn't like doubting. <laughs> like, I didn't think your information was wrong. I was just surprised. I just, uh, based on the wins they've had and the rankings, I just thought Vera would be a little higher. Um, I can see why. I mean, this is a tough stylistic matchup, and and the clinch is. I, I wonder who's going to win that in the clinch. Um. I don't think Pennington will have as much success in the clinch as, as we think. I, I, I really do think that I had to say a lot about uh, home. If this was a 25-minute fight, I would feel much better picking Pennington, but being that's only 15 minutes, 
I don't know if the the fading of Vera will have as much of an impact. Uh, so I'll go the other way. I'll take Vera in a really close, like split decision victory. I say she just lands the, the harder shots, and 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 that's why she gets the victory. Got it. Bonus question. I mean, when we think of either married couples or like long-term committed couples in MMA, most often they're they're kind of similar in in their athlete profile. Like you think of a uh, like uh, Tim Elliott and Gina Mazzani. They're they're both like neither of them a super athlete, just super scrappy overachiever, you know, type fighters. Uh, Tiago Santos and Yana Kunitskaya are both like physical specimens, and both of them, at least until yeah. Tiago Santos' knees gave out, were like super athletes. Is there a bigger gap in athleticism between a couple in the UFC than Raquel Pennington and Tisha Torres? Like Tisha uh, Torres is one of the fastest yeah, people in the in the UFC. Yeah, is, it, is there anybody who's like a really good fighter married to like an absolute bum? Uh, Chris Cyborg and 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 Evangelista Cyborg. I know they're not married anymore. But, yeah, um, I mean Rose, Rose Namajunas and Pat Barry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean. I mean, Montana yeah. De La Rosa is still in the UFC, and Mark isn't. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah like Tisha Torres wins on her athleticism, and yeah, she's one of the been, fastest like fighters yeah, in any division. Fast. Yeah, yeah. They, I think they should have like a reality show because of how different they are. That'd be funny. Like they, should, yeah. they totally should. Like UFC should make like an MMA is like reality show. Well, oh, yeah, what am I talking about? Like they haven't done that before. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> But but, uh, one with a new idea. Yeah, like just Tisha Torres and Raquel Pennington just going around doing like living life. Like my wife could watch it or something. Next up on the UFC Vegas 67 main card is a middleweight matchup between Punahele Soriano and Roman Kopolov. Soriano, the 30-year-old Hawaiian, is 9-2 and two overall. He is 3-2 and two since joining the UFC out of the third season of Dana White's Contender Series. He won his last time out, knocked out Dalta Lungiambula early in the second round. That was at UFC on ABC, Ortega versus Rodriguez last July. And that allowed him to snap a two-fight losing streak, the only losses of his career so far, against Nick Maximov and Brendan Allen, both of those by decision. He will look to make it two in a row against Kopolov, the 31-year-old uh, Siberian from Russia, uh, nine and two as well as a pro. He is one and two since joining the UFC as the former Fight Nights global middleweight champ. He also won uh, his last outing. That was a third round knockout of Alessio de Chirico in September at UFC Fight Night Gone versus Tuivasa. That got him back on track against the first two losses of his career, which were his first two UFC fights. Those were a loss to Carl Roberson all the way back in November of 2019, uh, and then a loss in October of 2021 to Albert Duraev by decision. Odds here, uh, Soriano, a moderate favorite, minus 165, and uh, Kopolov is plus 140. Uh, Keith, there was once upon a time, that I was pretty excited for Roman Kopolov to be in the UFC. Uh, it was actually right around the time I made the transition from a uh, mixed martial arts fan to mixed martial arts uh, media member. You know, he, at the end of 2018, he was 8-0. He was the outgoing Fight Nights Global uh, champ. He was 27 years old. He was a heavy-handed boxer. Uh 
who had apparently good takedown defense. I was like, this guy is a stud. This guy has at least title picture upside. I mean, 2018, we're talking about like, you know, the chaos years of the of the UFC middleweight division, like title picture. But none of that has come out. I mean, that's almost, that's a little over four years ago that he was signed by the UFC. Since then, he has three fights. He's one and two. The fights have not, the wins have not aged well for him. The losses have not aged well for him. Uh, He definitely has busted prospect tag all over him right now. And it's conceivable that this is his last gasp in the UFC. I mean, getting choked out by Carl Roberson has not aged well. And I mean, his win over Alessio DiCirico, the good news about it is that it was a it was a close competitive fight, and as DeCurico started to gas, Kopolov started going to the body. That's the good news. That, w- that was like good tactical decision-making. Mm-hmm. The bad news is that Alessio DeCurico is not good. <laughs> so it doesn't redeem that star for me. Like, I don't know where the guy who was ripping it up in uh, 2017, like 2017 was really his year. I don't know where that guy went. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if USADA killed him because... Yeah, obviously, if performances drop off, that that's one indicator. But if you also have a bunch of mysterious injuries, blown weight cuts, things that cause you to withdraw from fights, because mm-hmm. he's had something like five fights canceled since he's been in the UFC, and they're basically all due to him. It, it sounds like you getting a job with Sherdog just like threw off the normalcy of the world. <laughs> and apparently, I, I ruined it. I threw Roman Kopolov out of orbit. Uh I, but, like, I don't know if I just had an overinflated impression of how good he was based on the competition he was fighting, which is not normally mm-hmm. a huge problem in Fight Nights Global. Like, no, yeah, Fight Nights Global like, is great. Like, they're along, well, M1 is gone now, but at the time, it was it's M1, great. ACB. It wasn't even ACA yet, I don't think. Yeah. Or, like, the kind of big three in Russia. I still call it ACB. Still. Yeah. Well, it's going to have a new name now because. Uh, Sorry, I still call them the <laughs> Supersonics, the <laughs> Seattle Supersonics and all that. <laughs> Uh, and we're going to have to come up with a different name because I don't know if they're going to rename, but like ACA just bought Fight Nights Global. So it's going to be one yeah. massive thing now. Anyway, what Kopolov is now is stylistically, he's the same fighter. Like he, he looks yeah. like a, a crisp boxer, but just everything's a little slower. Uh, mm-hmm. He like UFC level fighters are, are bullying him. Like Carl Roberson's ground game turned out to be surprisingly good, just like his striking turned out to be surprisingly not quite as good as advertised. Yeah, like 180, yeah. Yeah, but he just got ground out by Albert Drive. Drive just kind of pushed him around, bullied him. He was a fresher fighter at the end of the fight. And again, I just don't hang much on Alessio, uh, beating Alessio DiCirico in September of 2022, where he, I think he'd already been cut and like brought back. Uh, I still, I still believe to a certain extent in Puna Soriano. Soriano, like his buddy and fellow uh, Ali Abdelaziz employee, uh, Danny Ige, like they're more than just like the stereotypical just scrap Hawaiian of 2005. Like for a long time, Ige's best uh, trade at the UFC level was his, was his wrestling and ground and pound. But uh, Soriano, uh, good striker, good boxer, tons of power. And while he is he is prone to overswinging, he also can generate power without overswinging. So, I mean, like mm-hmm. fighting calmly is definitely to his best advantage. And 
It didn't look great against Maximov, but generally uh, Soriano, his offensive and defensive wrestling are pretty sturdy. I, I think Soriano like has every avenue to victory against Kopolov here. I think he's probably going to hurt Kopolov pretty bad on the feet. Um, Kopolov just he's, he's a shadow of the boxer he used to be. And if Kopolov wants to bring this to the ground, I don't think he'll be able to, whereas Soriano will if he wants. And he's going to be just physically bigger and stronger. Like he, I don't think he'll be taller, but he's just he's a massive guy. Uh, give me Soriano by a pretty bruising decision. I'm not going to pick the knockout here. Like Kopolov hasn't been knocked out. He hasn't mm. been hurt too bad on the feet, even in his losses. But Soriano is going to hurt him worse than he's been hurt. And I think even if the UFC doesn't cut him immediately, it will kind of put an end to speculation of uh, Kopolov's upside as a UFC middleweight. Yeah, this is an interesting matchup because, again, um, I think both guys has shown flashes of, of some really good fighters. Um, Soriano is a guy that I've, I've kind of, you know, gone back and forth on him. He's he's a southpaw that he's he's pretty well-rounded, uh, pocket boxer, quick hands, accurate. He's got some big power. Uh, I go back to that fight against uh, Todorovic where his left hook, he just he couldn't miss it. Um his left hand, the overhand left, was also what uh, <clears throat> smashed Dolce Lingbula. Uh, he he mixes kicks into his combos, which you, you know I like. Uh, he's he's willing to eat a punch to land a shot, and that's because he has this. Um, yeah, one he can crack himself, but two he has this like this unbelievable trust in his chin, uh, which we haven't seen it really um, fail him yet. Uh, I think he's an underrated wrestler now, like he. He's not Bo Nickel, but I mean, he's got you know good penetration step, uh, good at driving through your hips. He showed how strong he is by just, and it seems like it's the theme with a couple of the wrestlers on this card, just picking up guys and slamming them. Um, I also like that he'll get in the clinch and it'll look like foot sweeps, and and he's got some really hard ground and pound, and he has that like he has that Hawaiian power that they have, where you know. They don't look any different, but something about Hawaiians they, they can they can really crack. Um, <clears throat> couple off, he's he's a southpaw that you mentioned. Like he's he's a good athlete. He's big for the weight class, long and kind of lengthy kind of guy. Good footwork, moves in and out of range really well. He does well uh, when he's the one like pressing forward instead of being pressed back. Uh, when uh, De Cherico had successes when he was actually putting the pressure on on him. Uh, he has had low output at times, which is really um, worrisome. Even in that fight, like single strikes, uh, he has quick hands. I give him that. Nice stiff jab. He throws straight punches down the pipe. Uh, good kicks to the body, especially from the southpaw stance. He gets an orthodox fighter. He throws a lot of uh, high kicks. Carl Robinson had a lot of success against him with calf kicks, so that's concerning, and that's something that Soriano can do really well with those like big thudding kicks. Uh, he's a good wrestler, though I think he doesn't wrestle enough. Um, he's got strong takedown defense when trying to get taken down. Um, when he goes for takedowns, good penetration step. He he has no submissions on his record, and he was stubbed by Carl Robinson, which you mentioned this has not aged well. Uh, and Despite getting that third round stoppage, it was, I agree with you, the body work, uh, which was really nice against Chirico. He was slowing down in that fight. Like he, he kind of got a second win in the third round, but the second round, he kind of took off. Like he was, he, he, he won the first round, looked really good, looked sharp. Second round, really faded. Then third round, he kind of picked up again. Uh, so this is a tough fight to pick. Um, 
I think Kofler should wrestle. I think he should go for some takedowns. Uh, and, and I think he might even get some, but I think Soriano will get back to his feet. Um, that I think they'll slug it out. Uh, I think both guys can win some exchanges. I think it'll be kind of be a back and forth fight. Uh, I think both guys can land some hard kicks, some some good punches. Uh, I, I'm just going to go with the output of Soriano. I, I know that he he will continue fighting. He won't take portions of the fight off. So give me Soriano. I, I'm with you. I think it's going to be back and forth fight, but I think Soriano is going to. Uh, win a decision the co-main event of ufc fight night 217 is a men's featherweight matchup between dan ige and damon jackson ige the 31 year old hawaiian by way of las vegas is 15 and 6 overall he is 7 and 4 since joining the ufc as one of the standouts from the first season of dana white's contender series uh opened up his uh, UFC run after a debut loss to Julio Arce with six straight wins that brought him really to uh, a headlining fight and the cusp of a title shot. I mean, uh, he fought Calvin Cater and lost. That was back in July of 2020. Um, but the winner of that fight was within shouting distance of, of a uh, featherweight title shot. But starting with that loss to Cater, he is one in four since uh, he knocked out Gavin Tucker in just seconds Uh back in uh, March of 2021, then proceeded to lose three straight to Chan Sung Jung, Josh Amit, and Movsar Evloev. The most recent of those, the Evloev fight was last June at UFC Fight Night Volkov versus Rosenstrike. Uh, it was a unanimous decision. He's going to look to get back on track against Jackson. The 34-year-old Texan is 22-4-1 with one draw, or sorry, with one no contest. Uh, in his mixed martial arts career, he is 5-2-1 with one no contest across two stints in the UFC, but he is 4-1 since being back, or sorry, 5-1 uh, since being back this time. Uh, he is on a four-fight win streak since his loss to Ilya Tapuria two years ago. Uh, he's beaten Charles Rosa, Camuela Kirk, Dan Argetta, and Pat Sabatini. The most recent of those, the Sabatini fight, was a first-round uh smashing on the ground at UFC Fight Night Sandhagen versus Song in uh, last September. Odds are close on this one, but Ige, just the slightest of favorites. He's minus 125, Jackson plus 105 on the comeback. Uh, Keith, this is a fight between two guys that have reached this co-main event, reached this matchup from almost the complete opposite yeah. directions. I mean, I kind of ran down Ige's run. I mean, Ige... He won his way into the UFC from the Contender Series, and I thought uh, he was just going to settle into being a solid action fighter, you know, and probably win two, lose one, win two, lose one, and, you know, rack up 20 fights in the UFC and probably a, a good handful of bonuses. And instead, he, he won six in a row. He made it again to that fight with Calvin Cater, where the winner might only have been one more win away from a title shot. But since then, he's kind of regressed to the mean. And part of it is that he's gotten no breaks in booking. Like he was booked yeah. very sensibly until he got to the cater fight. But Chan Sung Jung, Josh Emmett, and Movsar Evloyev. Yeah. Those are three, those are three top 10 fighters. Well, it's one of them. Emmett, you know, is probably going to fight for title this year. Evloyev might fi fight for a title next year. And Jung was, you know, Jung is a professional. Yeah. Ige's gotten no breaks. 
And because of that, it's hard for me to tell whether he's regressed in his skills because the interesting thing on his way up was he kept on like developing his, he was adding to his skills, uh, you know, just each time out he was, he was improving here. I can't tell if that has stopped or it's just stopped because he, all of a sudden he's facing Josh Emmett and Mozart Luev and he, he can't show like how nifty his defensive wrestling is anymore. Jackson is coming at this the complete opposite way. It's not, I mean, it doesn't have quite the same sizzle on it because there aren't the the finishes and the highlights, but it's every bit as remarkable as Julian Arosa's most recent run in the UFC. I mean, Jackson is five and one, and the only guy he's lost to is Ilya Taporia. Ilya Taporia might fight for a title by, you know, by the end of this year. And none of his wins are sensational, but some of them aren't junk. Like, he destroyed Pat Sabatini in a minute. Like, I like. There's obviously a huge gap in the level of competition the two guys have been fighting. Like Jackson can't seem to get a step up, no matter how many he wins in a row. Ige can't get a break, no matter how many he loses. But here, where they kind of meet in the middle, I, I think this matchup kind of favors. I, well, I don't think the matchup favors Jackson, but I favor Jackson in this matchup. Yeah. Uh, Jackson, I liked both of these guys' old nicknames better. Like Dan, Dan Ige used to be Dan Dynamite Ige. Now he's Dan 50K Ige. He's not guaranteed 50K, but he can always guarantee Dynamite. Like Action Jackson is a terrible nickname. I'm sorry, Damon. <laughs> Action Jackson is a terrible name. It's named after a terrible movie. And you're, you're a wonderful fighter, but action is not the first thing I think of when I think of your fights. The Leech was a perfect nickname for you. Like... Because, yeah, he comes from a wrestling background, but he's not, you know, he is not the Michael Chandler, Josh Koscheck, bowling ball, you know, uh, double leg through uh, through the man's hips type of wrestler. He, he's like a, a leech. Like his takedown game at its best reminds me more of Ben Askren than of like Tyron Woodley. And he's just turned into like a very sticky suffocating tiring persistent grappler uh who yeah builds he's gonna wear you out he's gonna, he's, he's gonna, gonna wear you wear you out yep. like if he's gonna name himself after a movie it should be like 2001 space odyssey just bore you out <laughs> <laughs> that's it <laughs> damon 2001 space odyssey jackson and listen don't at me saying that was a great this is a fucking terrible movie you don't be a hipster hey I enjoyed that movie, and I thought that was a great line. Like, no, you did not. Every time, every time Damon Jackson wins, he should just go. My God, it's full of stars. Like, you know, you finally got to the end of of (laughs) the movie. That's your payoff. (laughs) You're just trying to be like cool and hipster. Close the octagon door, Hal. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa! Look at that. do not adjust your screens. Uh, we are, in fact, wearing different clothes. I got a different hat on. Uh, I need to shave even worse. Apparently, what happened is Hal 9000, a.k.a. StreamYard, was so offended by Keith's uh, recent comment that uh, it quit on us. And then I was so personally offended that when we started again on Wednesday night, I forgot to hit record. So here we are getting back together again uh, three or four days later to finish this preview. But... Uh, as I was saying, uh, I think Jackson's trademark game is likely to work on Ige here. And 
I say that in full recognition that I could be dead wrong and looking real silly in about three minutes because Ige, he's going to have the, the hand speed advantage. He's going to have the power advantage. He has been usually a pretty fast starter in his uh, in his recent UFC run. So if he catches Damon Jackson early, plunks him, I won't be shocked. But if this thing makes it to the end of the first round, which, again, I, that's going to be my pick here, I'm going to feel better about Jackson's chances pretty quickly. Even if Jackson has uh, trouble getting takedowns early, that's not going to make him stop. He will stick to that game plan to a fault. So if he goes 0 for 5 on his takedowns in the first round, I'm not too concerned. Like I say, I, I liked it when his nickname was the leech because he just has that sort of persistent cling to you uh, approach to wrestling and grappling. Give me Jackson to win a decision here. Probably going to have to navigate some rough waters in the first round, but by the middle of the second, I think his takedowns are going to start working. And uh, yeah, give me give me Jackson to win this thing going away, like for Ige to be the more tired guy in the third round and for him to be probably having Jackson on his back and Ige fending off like choke attempts and stuff for most of the third. You know, it's funny that you already know who I'm picking. It'd be funny if I switch it now. <laughs> Come on, Keith. I've already made the closing like scroll. <laughs> uh, yeah, this I think this is one of the toughest fight uh, on the entire card. Uh, I think it's really evenly matched. Um, kind of like both guys, you know, like going down the escalators, one up, like meeting at the perfect point where Ige's kind of taking that step down in competition compared to the killers he's been going against, and then Jackson's taking that step up. So it's kind of like who's at the right spot at the right time. Uh, Ige, you know, he hasn't looked good re recently, but again, he's, as we already talked about, he's faced like murderous row. Uh, he's a pretty well-rounded fighter. Uh, I've said this about him in the past. He, he reminds me a lot of Bilal Muhammad, and what I mean by that is there's a limit to his talent, like his, you know, when you take notes on Ige or, or Bilal Muhammad, there's, there's nothing that really jumps out at you like, wow, this is the elite level guy. But what he does have that is elite is his like intelligence. And he'll put himself in a position, he'll see his opponent's weakness, and he'll expose that and, and kind of give him the best chance. More of a, you know, more of a, uh, like, all right, you know, I'm not going to do it. I was going to say like an early 2000s Patriots. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> my, my love, my hometown. Uh, he, he's a pressure fighter that has really high volume. He loves to get in the pocket and load uh, big combinations. I love that he throws combinations. His, uh, his, his right hand, left hook combo, like his straight right, left hook is one of his go-tos. I'd say he has stinging power. Uh, he's not going to put you out one shot. I mean, we can, but I mean, generally speaking, you know, he's not a one punch knockout kind of guy, but he's got like, he'll hurt you with his power. Uh, he throws a lot of power shots too, and he really kind of whips his shots. Uh, I like that he comes, even when he's getting beat up, he comes the entire fight. Now, the thing that I'm most concerned on the feet is, is his chin at this point, because he's taken ungodly amount of damage. I mean, we mentioned Edson Barbosa, Calvin Cater. Uh, the Korean Zombie, Josh Emmett, and, and Movisa Evilev. Like, that's – like, he's taking some damage. Uh, he's got some great leg kicks. I like that. I love these those, those, like, flying knee to close the distance. He's a good wrestler, a uh, good reactionary double. If, if if his opponent is a weak wrestler, he's going to, you know, he's going to put on his wrestling shoes. He's going to be spending a lot of time in that wrestling gym. That's kind of his thing. Uh, nice – 
nice timing, I said, on his entries. Pretty good at winning scrambles. Good good grappler overall. He's more of a topside grappler. Uh, he sets up his submission with some good ground and pound, and he has BJJ black belt. Now, Damon Jackson, he's a, a long and lengthy fighter, also a high-volume one, so this is going to be really fun. Presses a really good pace. Uh, on the feet, he does well to kind of keep his distance with long-range striking, really complete kicking game. That's the big part of his striking is his kicks. He has a lot of defensive holds. One, he keeps his chin high in the air. Uh, he also throws some naked leg kicks, which leaves him open to counters. You mentioned uh, he has a wrestling background. It's actually something we've seen a lot more of recently uh, is him looking for takedowns. Uh, also, a guy that like, if you pressure him back, he'll drop down. Uh, use your pressure to set up his takedowns. He got six takedowns against Charles Rosa. Uh, his last fight, Dan Argetta, he ragdolled him. Uh, the one thing, though, for a guy who's a good offensive wrestler, he's kind of a weak defensive wrestler. Mursad Bektik took him down seven times, and he actually makes it worse because he'll jump for a guillotine. As he's, he's not scared to go to the, his back and use his grappling. Now, he's got a really good guillotine, so if you make a mistake, he will put you out with it. I would say his overall grappling skills is a little underrated. Uh, he's got a slick submission game, really good back takes. Uh, you mentioned it. He likes to backpack fighters. Uh, look at his like last fight. He he backpacked uh, against Mursad Bektik. He really showed his uh, one is uh, submission defense by going against a good grapple like that, and not get submitted. But also he showed his cardio on three days notice uh, to actually like win a fight because of his cardio. But surprisingly, in his last fight, he would slow down a little bit against Dan Argetta, which might have been because he was going so offensive wrestling. Uh, you know, putting a you know trying on the back and all these different things might have burnt out his legs a little bit more than usual and just a different style fighter. Like I said, this is a tough fight to pick. I flip-flopped a little bit. I'm going to go with Ige. Um, and I think it's because of Jackson's like refusal to sprawl on a takedown, which I know Danny, Ige, I know he's going to do his, his homework. I could see, like, like that was like my tiebreaker. Like I think we could have some back and forth rounds, but Ige being on top. So, uh, and, and then Iki also has a little bit more power uh, on the feet. And if, if one person has a huge – I don't think either guy has a huge advantage somewhere, but if one guy uh, has a big advantage in the fight, I would say, okay, then Ige really pieces him up on the feet. Like that's where I think someone could have a big advantage. So give me Ige in a really back-and-forth fight. I'll take Ige by decision. That brings us to the main event of UFC Fight Night 217, a middleweight clash between Nasruddin Imovov and Kelvin Gastelum. Imovov, the 27-year-old uh, Frenchman, Russian-born Frenchman, is 12-3 and overall. He's 4-1 and since joining the UFC back in 2020. He won his debut against Jordan Williams. Dropped a majority decision to Phil Hawes in his second UFC fight and has rattled off three straight wins uh, since then. Those being a second round knockout of Ian Heinish, a second round TKO of Edmund Shabazian, and most recently, last September at uh, UFC Paris, a unanimous decision over Joaquin Buckley. He carries that three fight win streak into this main event against Gastelum. The 31-year-old uh, Arizona native is 16-8 and eight with one no contest overall. He's 11-8 and eight with one no contest since joining the UFC as the winner of the 17th season of The Ultimate Fighter. Uh, he has bounced back and forth uh, between welterweight, uh, welterweight plus, let's call it, and middleweight. He is 4-6 and six 
with one no contest at middleweight. And at middleweight, he fought his way all the way to an interim title shot against uh, Israel Adesanya that took place at UFC 236 back in April of 2019. He lost a close decision there. It was up until that point probably the toughest fight anyone had given Israel Adesanya in the UFC, but that has that marked the beginning of a slide uh, for the tough winner, including the Adesanya fight. He is now one in five in his last five fights, has not fought at all since August of 2021. So this will be his return to action after nearly a year and a half, uh, and he comes in on the back of back-to-back losses to Robert Whitaker and Jared Cannonier. The most recent of those, uh, the Cannoneer loss, was at UFC on ESPN 29, again, August of 2021. Uh, Perhaps because of the differing work rate of these two gentlemen, the nearly opposite momentum with which they come to the fight, Imovav is unsurprisingly a favorite here. He's minus 200, Gastelum around plus 170 as the underdog. Uh, Keith, we talked about this in the co-main event, of Ige versus Jackson just now, but here it's even more exaggerated. Imovov is, if not the uh, like hottest up and comer in the middleweight division, he's certainly in the same breath with like your Andre Mooney's uh, types. I mean, obviously, uh, yeah. I mean, there's one guy obviously a uh, hotter up and coming. That's obviously Bo Nickel, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean he's. He's he's got a lot of buzz. I mean, he's good. Yeah. He's in a main event. So yeah, he's he's in a main event. He's on a, a you know a three fight win streak. He's he's a, a young guy. He I mean he's kind of close to being undefeated in the UFC. His his fight with Hawes was was competitive. I mean I thought the right guy won the decision. But uh, in Gaslam, you have someone who, if not for him being a former tough winner, would probably be gone by now. I mean he's one in five in his last five. But the thing with him is, much like we said about Ige, Gaslam has gotten no breaks whatsoever. Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we did it. We did it last time we recorded. Like, read down his like his last fifteen yeah. fights. It's I, insane. Oh, it's 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 ridiculous. Uh, let's. I mean, let's go back to November of twenty fourteen. So about eight years ago, Jake Ellenberger, which at the time was, I mean, Ellenberger was still one of the scariest knockout machines at welterweight. Tyron Woodley. Nate Marquardt, still a scary fight at that time. Neil Magny, Johnny Hendricks, like barely a year removed from his title reign. Yeah. Tim, then we go up to 185. Tim Kennedy, Vitor Belfort, Chris Weidman, Michael Bisping, Jacare. Then we get to the Adesanya fight. And this is in the midst of a brutal slide. Listen to the level of competition Israel (laughs) Adesanya, Darren Till, Jack Hermanson, Ian Heinish. There's your one win. You get one win? Okay, great. How about Robert Whitaker and yeah, Jared Cannonier? Just, just, just one win in that slide, not one win of this entire yeah. list. Yeah, yeah, but like one win in that slide, it's like, oh, well, if you're, if you're too much for Ian Heinish, let's put you against Robert fucking Whitaker in your next <laughs> fight. And you, you can't be Whitaker, so let's do Jared Cannonier next. I mean, oh, geez. It, there's not a bum in the group. And in that last six, I mean, Adesanya, yeah. champ, till. Top 10 fighter, Hermanson, top 10 fighter, Ian Heinish, top 15 fighter, and then Whitaker and Cannonier, both like top three fighters. Yeah. Can you toss this guy like a John Phillips or something? Jeez. Well, no, <laughs> but you're tossing him Nasruddin Imovov. Which, yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, it's like, who's, who's a name that if he got matched against Gastelum, we'd all say, like, all right, that's a way step down for Gastelum, but it wouldn't be 
like people wouldn't be sh- shocked. Like the guy has got some name value. Like it wouldn't be like a John Phillips. It'd be like a name value guy that would make sense. If, for him. if they given him Luke Rockhold. Yes. Like, and like Rockhold's like one, it would have been appropriate because Rockhold was fighting one time after like three years and yeah. he'd been on a brutal slide. And that would have yeah, been appropriate. He's actually, he's actually hinted at, at maybe even actually returning. So yeah. Rockhold versus Gaston. The Gaston's next fight should be Rockhold. There you go. Yeah. Or bring back Sam Alvey or KB Buller. Yeah. <laughs> that was for you, Dev. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I'm going to, I'm definitely going to toss this uh, to you first. I mean, I would just give you the seed question. Would you take Bo Nickel over either of these guys on, on Saturday? But I mean, I already know the answer to that. I already know the answer to that question. Oh, Um, oh, you mean individually? I think at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, I, I don't even really have like any leading questions here. Just like, give me your thoughts on this one and maybe, it's it's an interesting era for 185 right now. It's a whole new world because yeah. up until a month ago, the fact that Imavov had not fought Israel Adesanya yet was a huge, like you know, little ace in up his sleeve. That's irrelevant now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell me if if you think Imavov wins here, and I'm, I'm guessing you think he does. And <laughs> well, you know, you know, I'm making well, but but they they haven't seen the the lost segment, yeah. so. Uh, <laughs> You know, do you think it's realistic that he makes his way to the title picture by the end of 2023? Uh, yeah, I definitely do, especially with, uh, you know, the division's wide open. Uh, it would have been actually probably a quicker run if if Izzy was still a champ because Izzy was not in the fight looking for new guys with yeah. uh, Alex Bahia being the champion. Like, it opens up guys that before wouldn't have title shots, like your Robert Whitakers and stuff. Oh. Uh, one thing I want to say about Gastelum, yeah, he's on this, you know, one in five skid. But if you look at those, you know, six fights, Jack Manson was the only fight that he decisively lost. Like, mm-hmm. I, th- I thought he won the Cannon Air fight. And and I know I'm in the minority. I think I think majority scored it for Cannon Air, but it was an extremely close fight. Yeah. Uh, the Till fight was really boring, and but it was a closer fight. Robert, he had moments against Robert Winnick. Like, he, I think he clearly lost it, but like, yeah. he had moments. Uh, uh, you know, Adesanya fight was back and forth coming down to the last round. So it, it, it's hard to gauge him because it's kind of similar to what we just talked about Dan Ike. Like, could he just be, you know, the eighth best middleweight and he's fought the top seven guys, you know, is uh, something like this, you know, just, you know, when you, when you rank the elite guys, well, someone has to be the bottom of the elite guys. Like, is that him? Maybe so. Uh, it, it's also tough to gauge him because he's been inactive. He's been out for a long time now. Um, a, a long layoff for someone like him who's actually been pretty active. And then we also have this motivation thing where we, they've questioned him with him missing weight before and showing immaturity and different things. And just uh, for just for the viewers out there, the thing that makes me saddest that we lost when we lost the original recording of the segment is that when I started introducing Gaslam, Keith brought out a bag of chips and started eating it. Oh, yeah, my, <laughs> yeah that great joke. <laughs> I should. I couldn't. You know, the funny thing is. I was I was just hungry too, and I ate the same. I ate like a similar, like small, like Fritos bag of chips. I, I love how I like talk about like a guy missing weight. Like, like I'm like, you know, uh, P90X over here or something. <laughs> you know? uh, so some things I like about Gaston. 
uh, when you watch him on film, there's nothing that's like, oh, wow, like he's lost a step or anything. It's, that, that's not there. I mean, there's, he, he, I always looked at him as like a A-minus kind of guy, like a guy like, oh, he could fight for the title and have moments. I don't think he'll win a title, but, it, you know, if he does, like, okay, that's cool, but I'm not picking it. But I, I like that he's he's been battle tested. He's he's been in there. He's been in five round fights, and and he has that huge advantage over Imov. Like Imov hasn't 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 been in a big marquee fight. He hasn't been in a main event. He hasn't been in five round fights. So he kind of has that thing going for him. Uh, Gaslin's a southpaw. He moves well. He's pretty athletic. He's got even though he doesn't look like he should be athletic. Uh, you know, if you were just guessing, look lining up all the middleweights and saying like. All right, who's the worst athlete? You'd probably think Aslan, but yeah. um, it's, it's the DC or Fedor thing. Yeah, like, surprisingly exactly. light on their feet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got quick hands. Uh, he tends to fight in bursts, so it's kind of like everything at once and slow it down, then everything at once. Uh, I like that he sets up his tacks with a lot of feints. Uh, he was freezing cannon air with a lot of feints. He's got a great overhand left. He can overextend a little bit at times, which is why he gets hurt. Which is surprisingly why he didn't get hurt more by. Or, I mean, he got he got hurt a lot by. Adesanya, but didn't get put out because someone like Adesanya make a mistake like that, he puts you out. Uh, he wasn't able to do that to Gaslam. Uh, he hits, he hits hard, but I've said this before, and we continue to say this. They do exaggerate his punching power. I would say he's definitely one of the harder hitters in the division, uh, or I should say he's like in the top half of guys who could, of you know, hit in, in the division. And I also think it's like based on his size, you know, smaller guy in the division. When he does hurt somebody, like they. Oh, they talk about it. They like exaggerate, like how good he is, and it's like, well, you know, it's it's <laughs> it's like it's like my my wife and my my uh, my older daughters. They love watching uh, uh, America's Got Talent or American Idol or one of these, and they wish they'll show me like, oh, look at this person singing. They're only twelve years old, and I always say, well, why'd you have to mention her age today? And I'd be like, well, because you're exaggerating, like how good she is because because she's twelve. If it's a competition against adults, she should be graded as as good as an adult would be. <laughs> so, anyways, I kind of feel like that's what happens with where the hell am I going with this? <laughs> uh, um, uh, I kind of think that happens with Gaslam. Like he's they exaggerate his punching power, but he definitely he, he can hit. Uh, he really steps into his shots. Uh, he makes the mistakes of of overextended. I already said, uh, but. Oh, and he also can be gun shy too. Like go back to like the Darren Till fight. Uh, there was moments like I think he could have won that fight if he just stepped on the gas. Uh, he he has a very wide base, so he he kind of has an open target. Like that's something that Darren Till had some success with. Uh, he can wrestle, but he hardly ever uses it, um, which is a shame because it really would make his and actually probably open up his power more if he did wrestle because you know guys would be dropping hands things like that. Uh, he's got a really solid chin though. As we mentioned, Adesanya couldn't punt out. Jacare, Robert Whitaker, I mean, these are good strikers, and they couldn't punt out. And he's shown that despite the look and despite the weight issues and despite you know motivation, he can go hard five five rounds. Like he won't slow down. Now Imov is just—he's like the complete opposite of Gasol. <laughs> like he's the guy that everything jumps off the screen when you watch this guy. Uh, I mean, I like this guy. He's well-rounded. He moves really well. That's the first thing that jumps off to me is how athletic he is. Great footwork, very elusive, um, really good striker, very like poised and calculated. Uh, he's a he's a counter striker. He he hangs his hands low. He kind of baits you out to attack him. But when 
you miss he's a sniper he's got some quick hands really good snap on his shots i love his kind of like conor mcgregor fade back uh you know he goes from the uh, orthodox stance was like a fade back right hand uh similar probably similar to gaston in the power where like their upper half they can hit uh i go back to like the ian heinish fight he heard ian heinish he hurt phil hall's at the time uh, but he can wrestle, and he will wrestle more than Gastelum, and he's relentless. They get the takedown attempts. Uh, very good on top, hard ground and pound. Go back to like the Ian Heinish fight, hurt him on the, with ground and pound. Edmund Shabazian beat him up with ground and pound. Uh, he has a submission threat. Uh, I go back to like the Jordan Williams fight. We almost popped Jordan Williams' head off with a guillotine, even though he didn't get this that submission. Um, he showed really good in, takedown defense against Ian Heinish. So... Uh, this is a fun, I mean, it's not the sexiest main event, but I, I think it's fun stylistically. But I just give the edge at MF kind of everywhere. So I think he dominates Gaslam. I think he's bigger than him. I think he's faster than him. I think he's probably more motivated at this part. I think he's kind of, you know, ascending up while uh, Gaslam is, you know, declining down. So I say he picks apart Gaslam from range with kicks, with a jab. I think he might even get a takedown or two. Give me MF by a pretty dominant decision yeah I, I i wish i could bring a little like spice a little special sauce to this main event preview and and like come in <laughs> hot for, my american idol <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, come in hot for gasoline but even if this fight were taking place four months after gasoline's last appearance not 17 i'd i'd feel everything uh, you're putting down here this isn't a i mean this is a rough matchup for gasoline because he's facing someone who yeah, obviously bigger, more athletic. That's just about everybody that uh, Gaslam faces at, at middleweight. But a guy that just really does seem to be on the way up. It's it's impressive that uh, Imovov is just twenty seven. Uh, you know, still refining his skills, still still getting better. Here, he's going to get some five five round fight experience. That you know, if if the UFC was not behind Imovov as a, a serious prospect. They'd probably put Imovov up against another up and coming prospect. You'd get like yeah. Imovov versus, you know, uh, Gregory Rodriguez or, or Andre Muniz or something yeah. while Adesanya and Pereira figure their stuff out. Because they're matching him up against someone in Gaslam who has name value but is on a slide, you know, this gets five round experience, maybe a, a marquee win for him. I, I love that you pointed out that. Earlier in his UFC career, Gaslam's wrestling was a weapon. Like he was a yeah. good takedown artist, uh, and it opened up things for his striking. He's one in five in his last five, and obviously part of the reason the one win was over Ian Heinish is that Ian Heinish was a borderline top 15 guy at the time, and the rest of them were much, you know, just higher level. But also, that's one of the few times that Gaslam embraced his wrestling. Like he got, I mean, he got multiple takedowns. He launched him with like a belly to back, like, you mm -hmm. know, uh, I don't want to say suplex or, you know, the ghost of Jeff Black will come down and tell me that that wasn't a suplex. <laughs> he used to say the suplex. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, like, uh, you know, got, got his back standing and, and launched him. If Gaslam comes out and just is obviously ready to embrace that kind of game plan, I think I still favor Imovov, but I'm suddenly much more interested in this fight because I think we learned something about Imovov there. As it is, if Gaslam comes out like he has in most of his recent fights, I agree with you. Uh, Imovov picks him apart on the feet, uh, maybe hurts him a few times, catches Gaslam overreaching with his punches. Imovov is very good at uh, 
you know, at taking advantage of those little openings. Maybe he does try to take Gastelum down, but uh, I'm not going to pick the finish here because Gastelum has proven just incredibly durable. That laundry list of just brutal opponents that we listed off the top there. Nobody has finished Gastelum with strikes. Adesanya offhand is the only one I can remember like knocking him down. And the people who finished him, Chris Weidman, who yeah. embraced his like wrestling and heavy, yeah. heavy top game for almost the last Weidman's time in his UFC guy. career. Yeah, He's a, a really big, guy big guy and a very good wrestler. And then Hermanson, who, I mean, fair play, caught Gastelum like being inattentive. You know, yeah. like shit happens. Yeah, yeah shit happens. Um, yeah, give me Imovov by a pretty dominant decision here and uh, just kind of grabbing his little like number at, at the deli counter for, you know, I, I'm ready for, if not a title eliminator, just a two away from a, a title shot fight. And uh, yeah, a, a big level up moment for Nasruddin Imovov. That is it. The <laughs> two parts mashed into one Sherdog Radio Network preview for UFC Fight Night 217, Imovov versus Gastelum. I've been your host, Ben Duffy. He has been Keith Schillen. If this is your first time watching or listening to one of our previews, first of all, thank you. We hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, we do our best to bring the, the best combination of actual in-depth analysis, historical background, and occasional goofy asides that you'll find in this industry. Please do like, subscribe, leave us a comment. Keith and I both man the comment section. So if you've got a hot take on one of these fights, you think we're out of our minds, you have one of these you know, plus 400 underdogs on this card uh, as, as a hot ticket, uh, let us know. And, you know, we, we'd love to hear from you. But most importantly, join us on the recap. After the main event, about 15 minutes after, we are live on the Sherdog YouTube page where uh, Keith takes the captain's chair and we break down these fights in reverse order. We'll start with the main event, work our way all the way down to that sizzling first prelim of Priscilla Cachoeira versus Sajara Eubanks. We'll talk about what was good, what was bad, what was surprising, what was controversial. There's always something. And what's next for some of the winners as well as the losers. And the live chat is wide open during that time. So we are taking your questions, your comments, uh, and your abuse in real time. So uh, we have a growing, vibrant community of people that uh, come hang out with us after the fights, and we would love for you to join them. In between now and then, thank you once again for listening. Enjoy the rest of your week, and by all means, enjoy the fights. Mm -hmm.